From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Are you hiring? The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. RFR listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RFR. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RFR. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. I tell you, Mark Hamill is everywhere. He's everywhere. He's doing the circuit once more for the home video release, promoting that. Out on shelves now. So, Although we, we saw an image somebody posted on our Facebook page there on the unofficial Rebel Force Radio group page. Hey, for a movie that's so derided and there's so much controversy surrounding it, it sold out at my target. Well, there were like two copies on the, in, the, in the big standee. It looks like it's selling pretty well. You know what? I think that uh, I think the future of Star Wars is pretty safe. I think 200 million shy of estimates um, in the long scheme of things is probably a-okay. But we've got, uh, as I say, Mark Hamill being everywhere, we've got clips of his appearances uh, through various media outlets. And, you know, he's still he's still talking Last Jedi and, uh, you know, does not disappoint with uh, sharing his opinions. Ryan Johnson out there with him, too, at a number of these stops. We'll be breaking that down for you as well as... Uh, uh, just various uh, tidbits of news just kind of popping up here and there. I thought this thing was interesting. We're going to talk about Meryl Streep potentially being cast as Princess Leia. Uh, that is, you know, you, you've heard of fake news. Well, this is old news. Old news recycled is new news. That's also coming up on the program. We've got lots of stuff. You're in the right place if you want to hear about Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and just Star Wars in general. And we're so glad to be with you here. Rebel Force Radio, this week's show for March 30th, 2018. And I am joined by, as always, my good friend and yours from Chicago, a proud new papa, Jimmy Mack. <laughs> hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Yes, we have a new member of the family. We have a puppy in the house. Yeah. So I've had to uh, make sure all the uh, Star Wars memorabilia is off the floor. Action figures, especially. I remember when I was a little kid in the uh, 80s, uh, late 70s, we, we got ourselves a Labrador Retriever, little mm-hmm. puppy lab. And this guy was just out of control and would eat anything if it wasn't 
you know, with as long as it was within reach, this dog would chow it down and had such a taste uh-huh. for the Kenner Star Wars action figures. So much so that I think we actually still have some in the collection that went through the lab's jaws, you know, chewed up. I, I remember specifically there was a Luke X-Wing pilot, and uh, we were able to save it, but it one of the fangs went right through the chest. <laughs> Can I tell you, I am holding in my hand right now, I am holding my original uh, Ben Obi-Wan Kenobi Kenner yes. action figure, vintage figure. Uh-huh. That I that I have restored uh, to the best of my ability. Got a, uh, a a a new lightsaber. You know, one of the what, what do you what do you call those repro repro lightsaber, and remade his cape. Uh, I'm a big fan of the uh, toy restore guy on YouTube, Toy Poloy. We've talked about him before, right? Um, real real nice guy. I've talked to him a little bit back and forth on Twitter, but he just does great restoration stuff. Um, and and he he has a a pattern for the Obi Wan cape that you can download on his website if you subscribe to his uh, or you know give him uh, Patreon money and I've done that and so anyway I restored this figure the one thing I cannot restore is the foot uh, of the boot you know the toes of the boot that were bitten off by my cocker spaniel candy right. Back in, uh, as you say, Jim, in the late 70s, early 1980s. But he's still a proud part of my collection. And, you know, there's something about, and I I think I mentioned this to you one of the last times I was uh, at the the Mac Estate and staying in the Star Wars room. What I love about your vintage collection, and it really inspired me, that's why I started displaying my vintage figures, is that they've got the battle scars yes. of play and wear and tear. And for the longest time, I shied away from that. I'm like, well, unless I have something pristine, I'm not going to put it on display. But your collection, particularly you know, the vintage, gave me the courage to do that. And now I love it. I love seeing you know, some... I, I clean them up and, you know, like I say, buy the repro weapons and make the new capes and stuff. But I love the battle scars because they're memories. Yes, and stories, too. Yeah. So you can show them off and everything. Now, the, the particular X-Wing pilot that received the, the fang through the chest, that, <laughs> that one never became a display piece. But it did become, it evolved into a character that Kenner never made an action figure of in the vintage days. We uh, took a pen and gave him a mustache and he became Biggs. Biggs! Oh, wow. All yes. right. So we, we had a Biggs. And then, um, for some reason, the uh, Han Solo Hoth gear action mm-hmm. figure was a delicacy of my dogs. Couldn't resist them. Went uh-huh. through about three of them. It's like, why Han Hoth? What is that fluffy Han coat? Hoth? You know, I guess. There's something about it. And uh, I think some of those may have been salvaged a little bit. But the other one that my dog really had a taste for was Yoda. And that was so disappointing. Oh, yeah, that's because like sacrilege. Yeah, and it was so bite-sized that one chomp <laughs> really uh, destroyed the thing. Unrecognizable globs of plastic on the floor and in dog poop too. I'm sorry. Oh. If, you, if you're eating while you're listening to Rebel Force Radio, I, I apologize. But uh, I mean, let's face it. You know what goes in must come out. So I, I mean, you no harm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He, so, yeah, he went through uh, quite a journey there. Yeah. Uh, really worse than R2 getting swallowed up by that 
giant sea dragon on Dagobah. This was uh, right through the gullet of a Labrador retriever in the 80s. And who out knows, the other end. Oh, my God. Yeah. Who knows what kind of encounters Yoda had along the way. Yeah, I recall Yoda, that vintage Yoda. Uh, you know, of course, he came out on an Empire Strikes Back card, a Return of the Jedi card. And I don't know if, if, if he was on a tri-logo card or, 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 or not. But he's just really getting the weeds. But regardless, I do remember that being a tough figure to find. There was not You didn't just walk into the store and see pegs full of Yodas. No, of course not. Uh, and he came out late in the production of Empire Strikes Back action figures because they withheld releasing the Yoda figure until after the film came out mm-hmm. to sort of save the surprise because, of mm-hmm. course, Yoda is... Is you know there's he's he's being someone else you know he presents himself in a, in a different persona so you want to maintain that level of surprise you know Luke Skywalker went there and he was expecting to meet a six foot tall Jedi Master and uh, this little talking frog turns out to be the greatest Jedi of all time so they wanted to they wanted to save that reveal so mm-hmm. the figure came out later in the game I even think it was a situation where it started showing up on some of the the card backs. And you'd flip it over, and it said Yoda, but the Yoda was like spray painted out of the. Picture. Yeah, I think it was like. Um, didn't they have like they used to have the the sort of the black cutouts on the on the back, right? Where you just see like the shadow of the figure, right? It, it was, was really sort of crude. A, like yeah, I said. yeah, yeah. It looked like somebody spray painted. I know they did that for the Ewoks. Uh huh. They wanted to save the reveal of the Ewoks for when the film came out. So you yes. didn't see a lot of Ewoks in early mar- merchandising for Revenge of the Jedi and Return of the Jedi. It just the film came out and then everyone got well. The floodgates opened, yeah, right? Oh, Unlike the Porgs, where I think the Porg was one of the first things we saw, right? As a part of uh, of Episode Eight, uh-huh. we, we saw that very early. Has Porg fever died down a little bit? I think. You know, I don't know that. I, I got to be honest. I don't know that Porg fever ever really caught on to the extent. That they thought it was going to. It did in my house. Did it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you got the help. You got got a five foot porg from Target on uh, Midnight Madness. Right, right. And and, uh, Dylan cherishes his relationship with that porg better than he does with his older brother. So, (laughs) yeah, porg fever is is, is happening in my house. Stuff uh, porg doesn't hit back. But I don't know. I I definitely sense porg fever, Jason, before... The film came out. I mean, definitely when the it, porgs were revealed, yeah, people, people ate it up. When the merchandising started coming out, I, I think there was a little bit of porg fever, but I think it's died down since the film. For came sure, out. yeah, for sure. Because I think a lot of people who had the porg fever ended up hating the Last Jedi. So, <laughs> so I, I see how the dominoes are falling here, folks. I, I don't, you don't have to hold my hand. Han Solo is not a loser. Han Solo. I'm Captain the Millennium Falcon. Millennium Falcon. This is a Millennium Falcon. You're Han Solo. You're Han Solo. Han Solo. All right, yeah, we are packing it up. We are packing our boxes and heading to Cleveland, Ohio. Not a very long trip for me. A little bit longer for Jimmy Mack. And taking the show on the road, Rebel Force Radio, solo in Ohio, May 25th, 2018. Playhouse Square's Kennedy's 
Theater, Kennedy's Cabaret Theater to be exact, uh, at 7.30 p.m. Very, very, very happy to tell you that tickets will go on sale this Tuesday, April 3rd at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. That's April 3rd, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Now, that's if you go to the ticket office. They're going to go on sale at 10 a.m. online. So you can go to PlayhouseSquare.org and search for Rebel Force Radio. You'll find it. Uh, or search for Star Wars. It comes up either way. Solo in Ohio, all of that will get you the search result, and you can find the event and click on that and uh, buy your tickets uh, starting Tuesday, April 3rd Mm. at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you happen to be a local, you can drop by the ticket office at 11 a.m. when they open and buy your tickets, or you can call 216-241-6000. That's area code 216-241-6000. And Jimmy Mack, I am so excited that you and your brother Bill are going to be making the trek east to uh, take in the sights and the sounds of the city of the CLE, <laughs> the land. We're looking forward to it. I'm also happy to do something at your place, at Playhouse Square, on your own mm-hmm. home turf. So yeah. I know that's that's going to be really special for you. And sure also is. just the fact that there's no Star Wars celebration this year. We have a film opening up in two months, but there's no big whoop-de-doo to surround it. So we're creating our own event. So it's going to be better than Star Wars celebration, at least the Star Wars celebration that's happening this year. I can guarantee that. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> but, and as you, yeah, yeah, as you said, I mean, there's a big movie opening up. Uh, technically, it opens on May 25th, but we know that there's going to be uh, showings on May 24th. And that's also part of this whole solo in Ohio. Oh, absolutely. So what we're going to do is have a get-together. This is going to be a little more casual, and it's not going to be included as part of the tickets for Solo in Ohio at uh, Playhouse Square. But we are going to be scouting out movie theaters. So when those tickets for Solo go on sale, we're going to tell you which theater and which showtime for you to target on Fandango or wherever you buy tickets so we can all make sure we get into the same theater together and hang out. That's the best way to do it. You know, it takes away all the red tape and any sort of obligations or responsibilities we'd have. Thank right. God. You know, it, it's right. it's just a little more difficult. Obviously, the thing that uh, we're really looking forward to the most is, is seeing the film, but being able to share our reactions with you guys at the Kennedy's Cabaret. And I got to tell you, we've been signing up people for our Solo in Ohio mailing list at show at rebelforceradio.com. And I have to say, the early response has been bigger than I thought it would be. And we know that the Kennedy's Cabaret has limited seating. Yeah. So if you really have your heart set on joining us at this event in Cleveland on Friday the 25th, then uh, you want to get your tickets right away. I mean, this isn't like U2 tickets going on sale or anything, <laughs> but but I am led to believe, I believe this will sell out, and it will yeah. sell out quickly just I by judging so. on the, the early response and the people who are asking me questions and telling me they're looking forward to it and telling me they're going to be bringing along a, a bunch of friends with them, too. So. Right. So we have to be prepared for that. I believe there is a ticket limit. I think yeah. it's eight. 
I eight tickets. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, so. Per customer, right? you could you could tag team if you want. You know, have the the misses or your friends buy some. But it is uh, per transaction eight. And to give you a sense of what's going to go on, what you're going to be seeing is a live podcast. So what you're hearing right now, coming through the the speakers in your phone and in your uh, you know on your phone or in your car. Rebel Force Radio live, but right in front of you. So you're going to have to look at us for uh, at least 90 minutes as we uh, give you our first take on Solo, a Star Wars story. Plus, we're going to hang out for a little bit after the show. And we're also really excited uh, to let you know that every ticket is going to come with a free T-shirt. So that's pretty cool. So you get the T-shirt with the ticket to the show, and it's a really fun logo, Rebel Force Radio, Solo in Ohio, May 25th, 2018. You can see the the artwork. I think we've got it on our website or certainly on our Facebook page. That's been out for a little while. It was designed by Kevin Lyle and with some refinements by our own uh, Chris Amarim, who does all of our work at uh, rebelforceradio.com. So we're just really looking forward to it. I'm so excited that Billy's going to be making the trip, too, Billy Mac. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's always a lot of fun on the road. Yeah, you guys are doing. You're you're, you're jumping in the car. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're yeah. going to road gonna trip. Drive out. Yeah, we're actually going to drive out the morning <laughs> of uh, on the twenty fourth, uh-huh. the morning of the the film opening up that night. Oh, I do have my hand up because I have a quick question. Oh yeah. When people buy the tickets at PlayhouseSquare dot org, mm-hmm. are they able to indicate what size T shirt? They would that, prefer. That's a great question. So here's what we're going to do. Okay. Um, no, you can't. So what, what, we'll, what we'll do is we'll reach out to you. Okay. So you buy the tickets. We'll reach out to you or we'll put a form up on uh, rebelforceradio.com where you can indicate, yes, you're coming and the size of the T-shirt that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think, I think that's the best thing. Let's do that. We'll put a very quick little form you just put your your first and last name and the size of the t-shirt that you want and uh you know the only way to get the shirt is to be there that night so you were you know we're going to be able to we don't have to mail them out or anything you come to the, the the live show on may 25th and you'll get the shirt there's one shirt per ticket purchased so indicate the size um but uh yeah we'll just we'll do that through the website mm-hmm Sure, sure we will. I, I see this being a situation where Jimmy Mack is frantically tracking down people via email at the last minute. No, hey. no, 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 no. <laughs> Whatever. No, well, we'll there may be a better way. We're we're doing this right here on air. We we haven't really discussed that part, but uh, <laughs> show meeting, show meeting. Yeah, no, we'll we'll find a way. There's 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 no question about it. We'll you know we'll have it. And now, do you know? I'm going to put you on the spot now, Mister. Okay. Are we gonna Are we gonna have lady shirts as well as men's shirts? Or are they just going to be the men's cut? No, I think so. I I, I okay. definitely uh, think that we should be able to offer ladies cut as well. It's as long as we know how many size, uh, you know, the, the quantity of each size mm-hmm. going into it, I think we should be solid no matter what. So yeah. uh so yeah, um working on lady sizes for sure. The ladies cut is a is a big thing because uh, my wife, she's uh, very she's very petite, but she loves her Rebel Force Radio t-shirt that we have uh, available at rebelforceradio.com. She loves it. She wears it all the time Sweet. because she says it just fits so great because it's um, you know, cut for cut for a lady. Yes, yes, and and we've uh, been big fans of her universe for years and years, so uh, we're taking their lead for sure as far as that goes and uh, making sure that 
all of our uh, fellow fans of the feminine persuasion are covered as well. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be great. The T-shirts are going to look fantastic. They're going to be black with the uh, yellow Solo in Ohio logo on them. And uh, I'm really just thrilled to get together with everyone in May. Like I said, there is no Star Wars celebration this year. So we're making our own big event, Solo in Ohio, happening May 25th at the Playhouse Square in the Kennedy's Cabaret. All right, last week, a big driver of our conversation surrounded the release of The Last Jedi novelization, and we really didn't get that far. <laughs> we didn't get that far. We got as far as the prologue. No, well, I just really wanted to concentrate on the stuff that was motivating Luke Skywalker yeah. through the film, because that's the thing that most people, I think, are dissecting more than anything, sure. is why Luke's head is where it's at, why Luke acts the way he does. Because it's inconsistent with the Luke Skywalker we knew by the Mm -hmm. end of Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seems like a lot of things happened in between this period, so we're desperately trying to fill in the blanks. And the audiobook is a great way to do it. And uh, a lot of people have been talking about the prologue featuring Luke's dream slash force vision that takes him to a time where... He turned the droids into the uh, stormtroopers on Tatooine and lived his life as a simple farmer on the desert planet, never getting involved, you know, never running off for adventure and excitement. He stayed home and uh, lived. Boy, uh, people took me to the woodshed on this thing. Yeah, I just just thought I was crazy for making such a big deal over what I felt was a kind of an odd moment that oh, was yeah. chosen uh as sort of the you know the make or break um the moment hap- for Luke it, right. yeah where he decides to stay home the night R2 takes off and or no I'm sorry he does that in the movie he yeah. waits for daybreak before he right. goes out to find R2 but in this alternate reality he goes out immediately you know, sand people be damned. He's going out there to get that droid back because he's afraid of the whooping that Uncle Ben is. Or what's his name? No, Uncle Owen. <laughs> he's what's his name? Afraid of the whooping. <laughs> afraid of the whooping. I'm going to get a whooping here in a second. Uh-huh. If, but uh, that Uncle Owen. Yes. Uh, you know, Uncle Ben does the rice. Okay, I know that. <laughs> all right. You, you go to the store. You buy the Uncle Ben. You, you check. All right. See, see what I'm thinking. He looks like such a kind man on that box, Uncle Ben. <laughs> he does. But. Um, but so I noticed mm-hmm. as we're listening to that clip that, I mean, wow, really, the, the whole uh, balance of the universe all came down to whether or not Luke went out that night. And uh, then you started to fixate on that. I did. It and, seemed uh, weird to me. Because I, I, I thought so. I, 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 did, moment... I said that last week. I, I, I have to agree with your critics here. I, I don't understand. Well, of course you do. Why you're wringing your hands over this. Well, I look, I just thought the, that Luke's make or break moment was when he says, I, look, I can't get involved. Yeah, but if I can you, take you, I can take you as far as Anchorhead, you know, but by then it would have been too late, Jason, because the stormtroopers already had set fire to the homestead and killed Owen and Baru. That changes everything. Because in many ways, that was Luke's motivation to go with Ben in the first place, was the death of his aunt and uncle. There's nothing left for me here now. You know, he needed to be pushed. He needed that little birdie need to be thrown out of the nest. 
So if Luke waited till that moment. So, well, wait a minute, though. But th- what this is saying, if we follow this logic to its conclusion, that Luke never had a decision to make. It was all circumstantial. Right. And Luke may have. So basically. All right. So see, in this as hero's we journey, in, mm-hmm. as we see in A New Hope, Luke is resistant to go with Ben. Yes, he is. And then the thing that pushes him over the top is the execution of his aunt and uncle and the mm-hmm. destruction of his childhood home. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the decision is made for him. Now, if Luke waits until the morning to go out and search for the droids, the stormtroopers still show up and kill the aunt and uncle, and Luke still goes. By him staying home, the droids are there. And so they could give the droids to the stormtroopers, and the stormtroopers don't burn the place down. Mm. So it really does all come into balance there. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the, the part that I struggle with is then that just removes any real choice uh, from, from Luke. But did uh, Luke, any real choice but of consequence. Did, wasn't Luke's decision made for him by the execution of his aunt and uncle? That's when Luke changed his mind. There's nothing left for me here now. That's when he changed his mind. He couldn't, he couldn't answer the call to adventure. He had to be pushed. He had to have a, a, an event happen. That well, the, the, the ties, the, the, the things that tied him to Tatooine had to be broken. Yes. And that's, and that's what it was. He, was. he was anchored to Tatooine through his aunt and uncle. Um, so, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I, right. You know, I just still um, don't be upset. Like a lot of people, I'm not just upset. Get mad at a lot of people just they get mad at you because they think you just want to poo poo all over the books. Any opportunity you can find. Uh, no, I, I'm I mean, not let's looking be honest. Poo poo on. Uh, all right, maybe sometimes. But yeah, see, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I've got questions for you though. Before we before we leave the the book conversation, did we did we screw up any more? Is there any more things that we screwed up? No, we didn't have... screw up, but we did get some feedback about that weird Obi-Wan moment in the vision where Ben tries to use the Jedi mind trick on the stormtrooper and fails. Ah. And we're like, yeah. why would Ben why would Ben fail in that reality when in the the you know the legitimate reality he's able to pull out that Jedi mind trick on the stormtroopers in Moss Eisley with no problem? What mm-hmm. changed there? <laughs> what was so different? But um, it's interesting to hear some people as they analyze that part of the book. And we heard from at Master Cosmo on Twitter, who says uh, the, the last Jedi prologue discussion concerning that. He says, I think the force vision was role reversal. Young Luke is Ray. While Obi-Wan is Luke. Obi-Wan's failure to use the Force is synonymous to Luke shutting it out. That failure led to Leia's execution and the end of the rebellion in that alternate reality Mm, so that's the message the force vision is trying to send according to uh at master cosmos analysis where he thinks that's how the message is trying to be conveyed to luke that you know because of the fact that ben couldn't use the force Mm -hmm. like luke feels like he can't use the force you know because of that Inability to use the force by Ben, the whole thing, the whole card of uh, House of Cards crumbled. Yeah. Because that's when they took the droids, they arrested Uncle Owen, Mm. and... So Luke's... 
Luke's yeah. choice to disconnect with the, from 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 the Force is analogous in this vision or in this dream to Ben being unable to wield the Force, which then set all of this other stuff into motion and changed the fate of the whole galaxy. Really, I guess that's one way of looking at it. Wow. So okay, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. And uh, if you haven't. Picked up the audiobook or the novel for The Last Jedi. I strongly suggest you do so. Yeah, Jason Fry is the writer. It does help you fill in the blanks, yeah. Okay, well, beyond the dream. Here, I got a, I got a few other things I just want to throw at you. All right. All right, so at the beginning of the movie, well, at the end of The Force Awakens, then the beginning of The Last Jedi, we see Luke in those, what we now know are the more formal, the ceremonial robes. And it's not too long after that that he, he, he changes his clothes. Yes. And, get, you know, it's like it's kind of like when you were a kid, you had the school clothes, then you had your play clothes. Come home and change out of your school clothes into the play clothes. So Luke <laughs> changes into his play clothes. But then we see him get back into his school clothes, his Jedi uh, robes, when he goes to uh, burn down the, 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 the tree and the, you know, the, the, the library there uh, with those books. Page turners, they're not. Now, does the book give us any insight as to, you know, more about the significance of those robes and why he might have had them on when Ray showed up? Yes, absolutely it does. For the same reason he's wearing them when you see him attempt to burn the tree down and, mm-hmm. just, and, and put an end to the Jedi Order. He believed that his burning of that tree and the books within was like a significant ritual to take and providing closure to the Jedi order. So he thought wearing those, those robes, his, his formal robes was mm-hmm. appropriate. Mm-hmm. So when Ray encounters him at the beginning of the last Jedi or the end of the force awakens, he is standing there looking out into the ocean, trying to psych himself up to actually do it. Is, is this it? Oh. Is, am I going to do this? That really? is, that's the final Jedi ritual he was prepared to take. And that was revealed in the visual dictionary that was released back in December that read that Luke was wearing his robes to take part in one final Jedi ritual. And mm. so we start speculating, oh, well, is he going to kill himself? You know, mm. and maybe that was part of Luke's plan after he burned the tree down. He maybe does say he, he came there to die. Maybe, maybe he did. Well, may, I think the Force provided a vision to Luke that he needed to go to Octu to to die. I believe he had that vision in the Force, mm-hmm. and the the Force was right. You know, in the end, Luke did go there to die. He did so in a moment of self sacrifice, as yeah. opposed to a moment of destruction or closure or finality but so that's just that's the ritual so when ray encountered him Uh uh-huh she interrupted him from going to do that so she may have saved or given the library more time oh yeah that's true Uh that is absolutely true all right enough time for her to go and plunder it without a current library card too i might add yeah, what would that look like? What that would look like? It would look like a swift kick in the butt from Jocasta New if she was still around, <laughs> librarian of the year. But <laughs> well, all that's left are these three. You know, what is it? Like three or four books sitting there on the shelf. There, there's a number of them. I don't right, know how many right. there are, but and they, they right. do impart. They do impart knowledge that Ray will 
soak up and absorb, I'm sure. Something that the book does reveal that the movie can't, because you can't obviously read characters' minds, is that there was a moment when Luke was determined or had decided to go with Rey to assist the uh, the new rebellion. But he encounters, uh, or he rushes to Rey's uh, hovel, her hut, where she's camping out, and she sees her, uh, he sees her uh, holding hands and playing footsie with Kylo, and then he loses his stuff again, yeah. and then, then that's all over. I would not have known that if not for the book. I don't think it's real obvious in the movie that he was on his way to say, Ray, I'm going with you! Right. Never happens in the movie. No. So you don't realize that he has this moment of clarity where he mm. realized, and it's only because he opened himself back up to the Force. Yeah. Had Luke had done that a long time ago, maybe he wouldn't have sunk his X-Wing. Yeah. You know, but he was he was avoiding it on purpose. He Something was, else. Because he knew he would go back into the fight if he opened himself up to the Force again. Something else I wanted to ask you. You know, this was there was a lot of hay made of this before the book came out, and that was Han's funeral. Was that a big deal? Not really. Happened it happens the at the funeral. beginning of the book, and it primarily uh-huh. is a you know surrounds the words Leia says at the actual ceremony, and then she goes through a little bit of time at the beginning of the book, sort of mourning and dealing with the death of Han Solo. But it's mostly just goes by in one chapter. And does she yes. hug Chewie at the funeral? Is there a moment? I, she yes, I'm sure she does. I don't know. <laughs> that one I didn't take note of. You know. I didn't remember if that happened, but I hope she did. All right. So, okay, so Leia does the uh, the Leia Poppins move, right? She does the the, the, the the space walk. Very graceful. Space float. Yeah, very graceful. Yeah, yeah. I give her a 9 out of 10 on that. Um, but so she shows up, and she immediately has to go into to medical. Uh, you know, she goes into a coma of some sort or whatever um the book i understand gives a little bit more detail on her medical condition right yeah well i mean she don't frozen space what else you, <laughs> what else you need to know fool? <laughs> well that's true um they they actually give it a name it's called hypoxia oh they so got she, the hypoxia again yeah oh yes. my hypoxia is flaring up yeah oh, gee I have an ointment that I picked up from the CVS for my my epoxy. What is it called? Hi, hypoxia. Hypoxia. I thought That's it was epoxy. insufficient oxygen reaching the tissues and solar radiation. Ooh, you know, because you're out there and you yeah. know all those stars, all those those suns are are are, are hitting you. Sure. Um, so anyway, so they they get a little bit more detailed in the book uh, about that. Um, they do give Leia a moment with Chewie. So, you know, uh, I, I guess she tells Chewie that Luke has sacrificed himself so that the resistance can live. Oh, this so is at he, the end of the book. This is at the end. Got it. Got it. Yes. This yes. is. Yeah. Yeah. This is at the end. Mm-hmm. So she. OK, so she has to break the news to Chewie that Luke's gone. And so she delivers the news. Um, and 
Chewie's mourning the death of, of Luke. And all of a sudden, the grief that, you know, Leia, Le- Leia is pretty stoic throughout, you know, the events, the end of The Force Awakens and throughout The Last Jedi. She, she fi- it finally becomes just too much for her. And she just hugs Chewie and finally just loses it, right? You know, just cries about losing Han, uh, losing Luke, losing uh, Ben, Ben Solo. Laura Dern. Cries about Laura Dern, didn't we all? Um, (laughs) But uh, anyway, so they they do have a moment, so it does sort of make up for the fact that, um, you know, she kind of passed up Chewie to to hug on to Ray, who she had never met up to Mm -hmm. that point. Um, She does say to Chewie, it's just us now, but we'll find a way. And, you know, there they go. Very powerful. Yeah. Um, Here's another one that I was curious about. So obviously one of the advantages of reading a novelization as opposed to the movie is you get into the characters' heads. And I wanted to ask you, Jim, what what do you learn, if anything, more about Snoke? You, you, You feel that if you're reading a book or listening to a novelization... And you, you got Snoke there, or or does does Fry pretty much keep it to what's on the screen? Do you get well, any insight it into is, Snoke? Well, it is revealed Palpatine was aware of Snoke, but didn't know Snoke. Like he was aware of the dark side presence, mm. but didn't know Snoke. Didn't know who he was. Was unaware of any reputation he had. A lot of the Snoke stuff is still kept primarily a mystery are you recalling something from the book that i am not well um they're trying to apparently what we're told is that you know there's some things that are hinted hinted at in the aftermath books Uh, there's also stuff uh that's in the uh that's that's talked about in the, the the battlefront game where uh, you know you see what what's the name of that that droid that has like the hologram of of, of Palpatine's face? Oh yeah, the uh, there's these Sentinels. Yeah, like a, yes. a Sentinel. He had he had a plan B. Right. Palpatine had a plan B, and and somehow Snoke was aware of it. So you know he he was able to get some of the gear. You know some of the ships that were in these these shipyards and these storehouses and these. Uh, unknown regions and so snoke was aware of 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 that plan um can i just say something yeah when it comes to the canon in the books i don't think you can apply any of those hints or clues or anything like that to what we see in the sequel trilogy we have one film left episode nine Uh jj abrams completed that draft in january just recently. And I don't think he was having meetings about, well, what happened in that Aftermath book? I have to incorporate that into my movie. None of that matters to the guys making the films. And I also believe this has to do with Star Wars animation, too. People uh-huh. keep looking for clues. Is DJ Ezra, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. is the Bendu Snoke, you know, crazy stuff like that. It's not that will never uh, the cross pollination will never happen that way. 
it will never happen. The closest we've ever seen anything like that happen was when Boba Fett showed up in that cartoon in the holiday special. Mm. And that's the only time we were able to say, well, th- that guy is going to have a role in the next film for sure. You know, and he did because that was specifically put there to promote the Empire Strikes Back and to drive up toy sales for Kenner, who was producing the action figure of Boba Fett. And so that's why that happened. But the idea that a book, like an aftermath book that came out three Mm. years ago, like that's going to have any sort of impact on what's going to happen in episode nine? No way. No way. No way. Because as you know, these films get passed off from director to director, you know, and and, and writer Mm -hmm. to writer, where it's just like, okay, well, I put Luke on this uh, island now. Uh, It's up to you to figure it out. So how would any sort of Star Wars novelist have insight into script developments that haven't happened? Think about it. Right. Right. But. You know, I also think that there is communication amongst the you know, th- via the story group or, you know, and, and, and then the tie in authors and all of that. And I don't think they would be putting these details. Frankly, I don't think they'd be putting those details about Snoke in this case in the book if they weren't pretty sure that that character was, you know, done, wrapped up. Well, could be i i still think after reading the novelization and seeing the movie i think there's you know it's it's star wars it's 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 fiction you can resurrect these characters very Mm -hmm. easily or at least provide some exposition about these characters in just simple dialogue you know via exposition you can flesh uh, in the the history yeah without those characters even still being alive you know right I mean, we were still learning about Vito Corleone in Godfathers 2 and 3. You know, they would drop little things about Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And I don't think they've given us, you know, that much detail. But I, but I, it's interesting what you say about Palpatine being aware of Snoke. Yes. That they, well, he was aware of... Yes, he was aware of Snoke. Yeah. But did not know his identity, did not communicate with him or anything like that. Did not do, you know... Touchy, touchy hands in the... He didn't do that with Snoke. None of that happened. How about the Knights of Ren? Did they show up in the book at all? No. No Knights of Ren. That's been completely forgotten, along with Luke's map. You know, the map to Luke Skywalker, completely. Right? The map to Luke Skywalker. Hey, what about that... How did you find me? I didn't come to the most impossible place in the universe to find, to be found. uh, Oh, oh yeah, that's right, the map. Damn, R2. (laughs) <laughs> what about the compass? You know, there were a couple of uh, pieces of merchandise that alluded to this compass. In fact, one of the Luke Skywalker figures, I think it was the Hot Toys one, comes with that with that compass. Now, we do see the compass, Ray's got the tracker, but... The compass was created for the Star Wars Battlefront 2 video game. And the prop then was included on Luke's workbench it was like an overnight thing um someone from lucasfilm contacted ryan johnson and they explained to him about this this compass that luke has in the video game is there any way they can incorporate the compass as a prop or something you know some sort of set dressing or anything he said i 
I'm shooting the scene tomorrow in the hut. Can you get me the compass? I'll put it on his desk. And so Lucasfilm had Dave Filoni create the compass. It was created on a 3D printer and shipped out for filming the next day. That's a true story. Wow. Filoni did the compass. Yes. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. So that is how the compass ended up in the film. The film didn't generate any sort of story for the compass. The compass was an artifact that Luke was hunting down in the Star Wars Battlefront 2 video game. To create some connective tissue there between the, the video game and the, and the movie. Which, as you say, which sort of backs up your point that it's not like one necessarily influences the other. They'll, they'll find ways to react and to create some connections, but it's... It's it's not necessarily at the at the film level where they're like, hey, what can we incorporate from the cartoons? Right. Or yeah, yeah. Or that the, doesn't or the, or the books, right? Um, you know, Easter eggs like Chopper showing up in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. That's about as far as it's going to go. Now, one of the things that we had speculated is, is you know, perhaps uh, Luke could still have a future in Episode Nine, not just as a Force ghost, but as a real corporeal being. Uh, because there is precedent of this. There is uh, early drafts of Return of the Jedi that would feature a Yoda and a Ben coming back in, you know, from the, I think Yoda calls it the netherworld of the Force, into reality and helping Luke in his final duel with Vader. That that idea was scrapped, but you can still read about it in the the great book, The Annotated Screenplays. Yes. I think that's, is that Laurent Bozereau? Yes. I believe you put is. that together. Yeah, yeah, I actually have it right in front of me. Great book um, about the evolution of the Star Wars scripts. This was released in 1997, so right around the uh, special edition era this came out. And it was really the first deep dive into early screenplays and drafts for the Star Wars film and sort of took you uh, along the way, you know, showing you point A, B and C, you know, of how it developed. And uh, so, Jason, you many times have said that this was the Bible for, behind, oh, yeah. you know, Star Wars behind the scenes stuff. And uh, and just well, there's like, interviews in there with George Lucas and Lawrence Kasdan yes. and Irvin Kirshner. I mean. It's uh, so it good. Is, yeah, it's fantastic. And I believe those interviews were exclusive for the making of that book. Yes. So it's not stuff that they just recycled from other documentaries or whatever and put in there. This is specifically relating to what's on the, on the page. And a concept that comes up in some early drafts for Return of the Jedi feature Obi-Wan Kenobi reappearing not as a force spirit, but actually in the flesh. And last week, we sort of tracked the evolution of Jedi breaking through and returning from the dead as force spirits. We first get indication of this in episode two, when Yoda hears the voice of Qui-Gon. And then in episode three, we learn that Yoda had been communicating, actually, with the spirit of Qui-Gon. In ep four... Luke is able to hear the voice of Ben Kenobi. 
But then by the time of Empire Strikes Back, he's actually able to communicate with Ben and see Ben. Now this is a bigger breakthrough. So he's able to see Ben, but Ben is still, you know, uh, one of those blue sparklies floating in, in Hoth. But then we see Ben again, and he's standing on Dagobah. And then when we see Ben again on Dagobah in Return of the Jedi, he's walking around, he's sitting on logs, and you can't really see through him that much. I mean, he's becoming more and more real. So we're wondering, well, how far is this going to go? And we discover in some of these uh, early drafts, uh, specifically the revised rough draft for Revenge of the Jedi, that um, George Lucas did intend for Obi-Wan Kenobi to come back in the flesh. That was something he was toying with. So I pulled a couple of scenes here from the uh, script that we can can reenact. The first one... okay. The first one is... um, a scene inside uh, Imperial Shuttle. Uh, in this version, Luke has been taken captive by uh, the Imperials, uh, just like in the, the final film. But mm-hmm. they're, as they're taking him to the Death Star from Endor, there's a scene where he's in the Imperial Shuttle, and he's in a cell in the shuttle, and he gets this vision uh, from Yoda. He, he's able to see Yoda, the spirit of Yoda. So this is interesting. Um Let's do the scene. Okay. I will, uh, you'll be Luke. Okay. And I will be narrator slash Yoda. Uh, okay. So wow. excuse me, excuse me. Right. I have to. <laughs> you got to warm up, huh? Okay. Yes, I had to do the right. warm up. Okay. okay. So scene right. number 68, interior, yes. hold, mm. shuttle. Luke sits in a small metallic cell inside the hold of the shuttle. His head is in his hands. Ben, help me. Come to me, please, Ben. I'm not strong enough to face my father. Help me to resist the dark side of the force. Ben, Ben, please. Luke looks up to see a shimmering, translucent image of Yoda standing in the tiny cell with him. Leia is startled by the vision. Leia? Luke. It should say Luke. I'm going to change that. Why does it say Leia? Luke is startled by the vision. That's your line. Hello. Oh. Hello. I'm here. Oh, oh, sorry. Yoda? Ben can no longer help you. His power to stay in the netherworld has been spent... He will soon be one with the Force. His identity lost forever. Did you have a stroke or something? Shut up, Smarty, and read your next line. (laughs) No, help him. Bring him back. Only you can draw him back to the material world. Stop your anger. End scene. Wow. So... Wow! Powerful Beautiful stuff. Oh, yeah! Bravo! Thank bravo! Uh-huh. I clap mm-hmm. for you. You clap for me. All right, that's that's how it works. Bravo! Bravo! Yeah. So bad. Uh, very nice. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Nice. Very. I can make it bigger if you want. Bad. No. All right. Sorry. Right. Take your own direction. That's fine with me. <laughs> Every man for himself here at Rebel Force Radio Theater. Uh huh. So um, mm. so Yoda. Yeah. Is is pu- it's not Ben. Who can do this? No. 
Luke needs to drop the anger that that's kind of making him tap into the dark side. Mm. And if he just fully gives into the light, then Ben will re- he'll appear. So it's not just the force spirit breaking through, but it's the force user in the material world who also has to mm. has to bring that spirit. He has to always like be an open vessel. Yes. For uh in this case Ben to to come through. Uh, it, you know, I got to tell you, it's a little hokey, but it also feels very prequely. You know, just hearing Yoda talk about netherworld, you know, that whole thing. Yeah, okay. It, okay. It's very prequely. Netherworld me. is different, you know. Yeah. Um, what would was there a term used to describe where Jedi are? I, you know, they just say one with the Force, right? Uh, well, Yoda actually calls it the Netherworld. The Netherworld. Does he call it in the film? The Netherworld. He does. He does. Um, the uh, at, at the end of episode three, when he talks about how to commune with, you know, he tells Obi Wan, you know, I'll teach you how to commune with Qui Gon into the Netherworld of the Force. I wonder if the Netherworld is that world between worlds that Ezra was walking around in. And like, what if what if like Yoda's walking around, and then he gets to an intersection, and Ben is coming from the other direction? You know. <laughs> well, I just <laughs> wonder if it's the same place as in Beetlejuice. You know, where they got the guy that's been run over by the truck. You know, he's swinging on the on the on the pole, and they got the woman who's smoking through her neck. Uh, you know, what I'm oh, talking about? <laughs> when they're in the waiting room there? with the Dietzes, <laughs> the neither world. So let's look into this a little more. This uh, this crazy idea of Jedi spirits actually returning to the material world, a concept George Lucas was tooling around with in the early development of Return of the Jedi. There's one more scene here. Scene 88, Had Abaddon, the tomb's prison. So uh, this is uh, the Imperial homeworld, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I thought for a second it was um, like the original Endor. But I think it's the Imperial homeworld. I can't remember. I haven't read. You know, I, I just glossed through to find these these passages. But I think uh, I might have to go back and reread this uh, rough draft because it's so different. So we've heard a lot about the Imperial throne room being an underground cavern with uh, a hot lava lake and the Emperor's throne. It was We've seen concept art for that. And we saw a mimic of that set in The Last Jedi for Snoke's throne room. But just imagine Snoke's throne room in an underground cavern with hot lava flowing around it. And that's essentially what you get as the early concept for the Emperor's throne room, which gradually grew into his throne room on Death Star 2. But mm. at first, so he's, he's here and he's got Luke as his prisoner. And uh, we're going to reenact this scene. This okay. features Luke again, and so you'll play Luke again for continuity. Uh, okay. okay, and uh-huh. I'll be I'll be Ben. There okay. is no Ben warm up. There could be. Obi Wan Kenobi. Obi 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 Wan. That's a name Obi. I've not heard in a long time. A long time. Okay, here we go. <laughs> okay. Scene eighty-eight had Abaddon, the mm-hmm. tomb's prison. Luke lies unconscious. It's not going to work with you going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, oh, sorry. All sorry. right. This is quiet on the set. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Scene 88, Had a Badden, the tomb's prison. Luke lies unconscious on a small island in the middle of a hot lava lake. A hot wind blows across his face and wakes him. He looks around at his hostile surroundings and suddenly becomes aware of another person sitting behind him. He turns on the intruder with Jedi speed. The shrouded figure doesn't move or even look up. Ben? Slowly, the hooded figure looks up, revealing his face. It is Ben Kenobi in the flesh! I could no longer stay in the netherworld, Luke. But Yoda said that I would be one with the Force. No, that little turd of a frog doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> hey, no, that's not the line. Oh, I'm sorry. That's I, not I, the line. Stick to the script. I can't ad-lib. I am Sir Alec yeah, Guinness. No, no ad-lib. You are, you're removing ad-libbing from me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, stick to the page. That I would become one with the Force and choose... There, damn it. <laughs> that he moved over there. Don't move when I'm shooting my scene. You're uh-huh. taking away my concentration. Uh-huh. Okay. That I would become one with the Force and choose not to return to the material world. That your anger prevented me from... But I'm not ha- angry anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> Come on, Luke. <laughs> but I'm not angry anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> I tell you what, George, you could type this. <laughs> All right. But you're this whinier is the line. I'm were. delivering the line. I, I'm just uh, delivering the listen, line. Listen, no, right. <clears throat> this, is, this is the third movie, Luke. Uh, Don't act like the whiny little <laughs> from Anchorhead, okay? okay? <laughs> but I'm not angry anymore. Not anymore. I understand why you didn't tell me about my father. I do. I know. And I'm here to help you destroy the Emperor. And your father. I can't. Suddenly, Yoda appears beside Ben. (laughs) You can, and you will. I, in the netherworld, and Obi-Wan at your side, help you. We will. Yeah. So, end of scene. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so Yoda can only break through as a spirit. Ben can show up in the flesh. Okay. And only in the flesh. I'm leaving my robes behind. In the <laughs> netherworld. <laughs> ben! Ben, you're naked! Sometimes we must let our freak flag fly, Luke. Oh, that's what, hey, Mark Hamill said. He's like, I don't know. He said, I, you know, all that's left was my robe, so maybe I force materialized onto some nudist colony somewhere. Yes, we have that audio coming up later in the show. <laughs> Spoiler oh, alert. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's right. Well, all right. I, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm glad they didn't go this direction. Yeah, but, I mean, what if they did? You'd be accepting it as, you know, that's how it is. And when Yoda appears to Luke in The Last Jedi, he's clearly not a spirit anymore and he's able to make physical contact with luke give him a smack in the nose with the the cane and even control the weather on the island hmm yes hmm screwing with meteorologists i will (laughs) (laughs) all right Uh, okay so 
I, I, you're right. If this had been the way it went down, it wouldn't be questioned. It's the way it is. And we'd be reading, you know, a annotation in the screenplay about how right. about the it might have gone and down. And, and you yeah, would I'm be like, saying, well, I, I'm glad it didn't go that way. It's just because you're, you're comfortable what you're used to. with the familiar to. and it is. I don't know, but the, you got to admit, this is the... Seems a little clunky. The language seems a little clunky. Well, it is clunky. Yeah, that's it's the revised yeah. rough draft. So imagine right. what the rough draft <laughs> read like. Oh, dear you know? God. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, do we have? Uh, did we get anything else wrong? Well, you know, a mystery gets solved from last week because remember we were relying on my memory, which is mm-hmm. never a good thing to do. Uh, it, it, when we were talking about. Erwin Kirshner's description of a love scene in a Star Wars movie. Remember, we were talking about that. So we, we oh yeah, right. So right. so we were talking about what he he may have said and what he didn't say. And so I figured, well, let's just cut to the chase, pull the audio from the Empire Strikes Back commentary, and uh, see if if Erwin Kirshner actually uh, used the word I thought he used. <laughs> right now, here we have the love scene. This is. The third part of the setup, you can tell she loves him. I mean, it's obvious to everybody, but no, she's going to resist him. And that's what the scene's about. And of course, what he wants is to kiss her. And a kiss in this film is almost equivalent to intercourse. Not to the children, but to the adults, (laughs) I think. (laughs) <laughs> intercourse 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 yeah so you see this is a children's film <laughs> but i'm gonna drop intercourse right in the middle of the the commentary track because i think it's good to promote discussion about these things at the dinner table when dad has worked a busy day and he's completely unprepared for this kind of thing one time when um the kids were going through the birds and the bees conversations and mm, stuff at school. Mm-hmm. And so they sent home this little packet for Wendy to read with them at the kitchen table and stuff. And so she called me as I was you know, driving home from work. And, hey, uh, hey, where are you at right now? And I said, I'm uh, pulling up into the driveway right now. What are you guys doing? She goes, oh, we're just sitting around the kitchen table discussing the birds and the bees. I said, and I'm pulling out of the driveway right now. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Yes, no, leave that leave that kind of stuff up to Wendy. You're just going to mess them up. Oh. Leave that up to Wendy. Yes. <laughs> Intercourse. <laughs> so, uh, but but I, we couldn't remember if that was actually the way Kirshner described a kiss in a Star Wars film and what its equivalent is to adults watching. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he went there. So uh, I, I was doubting my memory, but my memory was correct. So thanks to well, everyone who wrote in and uh, let me know that... Uh, Kirsch did go there in the commentary. He, he did go there. And the reason this came up last week is we were talking about the Ray Low touch, the hand touch during the uh, what they call the force time. Mm-hmm. And when they touch hands, I said, well, you know, if we follow the Kirsch logic and if a kiss is equivalent to making love or uh, intercourse, then those hands touching would be the equivalent of a kiss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So that makes sense. So uh, it's interesting to look back through the history of Star Wars and uh, apply it to Star Wars that's happening nowadays with, uh, 
you know, Jedi coming back into the material world is uh, living, breathing humans. And uh, what uh, I mean, God forbid, Kirshner was alive to see. Uh, mm. The Raylo situation going on there in the hut. He'd be like, this is more than what I was talking about. <laughs> this, this is deviant. Yeah, right. This, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's Star Wars porn right there. Where have them. we gone? Yes, yeah. what I was talking about was beautiful and an expression <laughs> of love. This is an abomination. Oh, well, you know. Yeah. Too bad curse isn't around for all that. Oh, but, uh, it, is, it, it is sad. But and I, I don't claim to be representing what Kirsch would have actually had no. to say about that. That's like cartoon Kirsch is what's going right. on here <laughs> at Rebel Force Radio. What do you what do you say, cartoon Kirsch? What do you say? <laughs> All right, uh, let's check in. Let's go into the the listener mailbag and uh, hear what uh, is on. What is this, uh, Jim from Honolulu? We got another Jim in the in the house here. What's going on, Jim? Hello, Jimmy and Jason. This is Jane Husband from Honolulu, Hawaii. Jim? Big fan of the show. I think you guys are the best Star Wars podcast by far. Oh. I have two questions. Um, First, you know, um, this is just a theory of mine, and and I hope hope it's a real possibility, but is it possible that at the end of The Last Jedi, when we see Luke supposedly fade away is it possible that maybe it's another force projection mm. maybe the real luke skywalker is somewhere else and he is you know attuned to events in the in the galaxy and maybe he's not dead period maybe he, that's just a force projection that we saw at the end and my second question you guys and just want to say once again that I'm a big fan of the show. I, I think you guys are great, but uh, sometimes you guys can really frustrate, frustrate me in a way. But yes. um, and my question is: is why are you guys so anti-fan and pro-creator? And what I mean is, it seems it seems, to, it seems like you guys, like you know, Dave Filoni, George Lucas, and Ryan Johnson, that you guys act like these guys are infallible, that they're above criticism. And I'm just wondering, you know, it, why, why, what, if you guys do that intentionally, or <laughs> I mean, why can't fans no. have what they want? Why we're clearly on the know, take. Why can't creators do things for <laughs> us? Because we keep Star Wars alive. We buy, we you know, we buy the tickets to go see the movies, and we buy the toys, and you know, why can't we get what we want? So thanks, guys, and once again, big fan of the show. Thank you. That's fair. If I can, I'd like to try tackling what he said there at the end. Please. Um, I've always made it my policy to talk about the Star Wars that is and not the Star Wars that isn't. Mm. I like my conversation and analysis of the films to be about what's being presented to me. So, yeah, that does, I guess, make me pro-creator because I don't think Star Wars should be crowdsourced to the fans That would be a case of the inmates running the prison, and it's far too great a responsibility. And how would you determine what every individual fan wants out of Star Wars? Now, I get it that people would like us to use the show as a platform to complain. And we do provide, I think, both ends of the conversation. 
But instead of having a debate about Star Wars and what it should be, I think we're more into spending our time using it to analyze Star Wars for what it is. At least that's how I feel about it. I'm a little too old to, to argue about Star Wars with people. A lot of people want to argue about Star Wars with me. I'm not really into a debate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, mm-hmm. I'm into talking about these films and picking them apart piece by piece. And sure, there are times when things happen in Star Wars films that annoy me. And I don't think it's fair to say that we consider the creators to be infallible. We certainly have been critical of all three. And I'm fielding emails from people and seeing comments online about how we are starting to dive into negativity because the more we see The Last Jedi, the more questions we start to have about it as it sinks into the the, the fabric of, of what makes up the the mythology on a whole and we're trying to figure out how certain things fit into the big picture and yeah we're noticing things sure when you make these demands on the creative forces behind star wars and you do it in tweets blog posts youtube videos or even creating petitions You're not speaking for every fan. There are millions of fans of Star Wars on this planet. How can you think, because your little corner of the universe on the internet wants A, B, and C to be in the next films, then it should be. I think it's better, like I said, let's not start crowdsourcing Star Wars or making it interactive, a choose-your-own-adventure Let's let people play around in it and see what they can create. And, and we'll look at that. And if you can create better Star Wars, make a fan film or write a script or do something. You know, make yourself active in the screenwriting community. And maybe someday you'll be writing a Star Wars film. And then you can do whatever you want with it. I mean, really, it all just boils down to, number one, we don't think the creators are infallible. Okay, and we certainly get plenty of email telling us that, well, you shouldn't have said, why are you so hating on this? You know, we get that stuff all the time. And we also get email saying that if it says Star Wars on it, you guys are, you guys gush all over it, no matter what it is. Well, you know what? Neither neither of those complaints about this show are true. You'll find the truth is right in the middle. And and that's that's how I feel. And I don't want to. You know, th- throw my integrity or my passion out the door when it comes to Star Wars. I want to have conversations that matter. People who have conversations about what they wanted to see in Star Wars, but it didn't happen. Like you wanted to see Luke Skywalker have force lightning come out of his fingertips. And you wanted to see him use the green lightsaber. And, you know, that's great. That's good for you. But I'm not, that's a waste of time to talk about because it's not Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't happen, and uh, at this point, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Um, I definitely grateful for the feedback. Appreciate it, and you're, you're certainly not alone. Uh, but as Jim says, you know, we'll receive just as many emails from folks saying, "I can't believe you were hating on this." 
uh, as folks who say uh, all you ever do is just uh, gush over this and gush over that. It so you know you can hear you can have two people listen to the same show and they're going to take uh, something uh, you know different away from it. And uh, we have, I think, are very, very far from ever claiming that the creative forces behind Star Wars are are infallible. Uh, quite, quite the opposite. We realize, um, but it is that fallibility, you know, that that we recognize that makes it such a high pressure, high stakes game. Uh, and you know, you can't really get a larger audience than Star Wars. I mean, you know, when the when the president of the United States, I think when uh, Obama was in office and The Force Awakens came out, he finished one of his press conferences by saying, all right, now I'm going to go see Star Wars. I mean, you, I mean that, that's huge. You don't get much bigger than that. Um, it's a huge, huge platform. It's a huge, huge audience, guaranteed audience that you're going to have. And there's a there's an extreme amount of pressure. And, you know, my hat's off to anybody that can get in that arena and and work to that level uh you can agree to disagree and you can talk all you want about the stuff that didn't make the movie that you wished it would have been i mean this this has been going on since the prequels yeah you oh, know yeah. it was the, the prequels was a lot of conversation about yeah but i thought it was gonna kick off when when anakin was you know in his teenage years or you know, whatever yeah okay Maybe you did think that that was the way it was going to be, but that's not what it was. Right. And so you're so, wasting your breath. Let's yeah, because you end up doing the- a critical analysis of a movie that doesn't exist. Good on you. Go write that movie then, is what I say. You know, on the other side of the coin, here's some feedback we got. Person says, uh, you guys are starting down the negativity road. I seriously can't listen to any Star Wars content anymore that focuses on what an awful job Ryan Johnson did with TLJ. In my opinion, it's canon. And let's quit trying to rewrite what can't be rewritten. Let's just discuss the implications of the storyline. I just had to unsubscribe from a podcast that initially claimed to love TLJ after weeks of getting more and more negative. They called Ryan Johnson a... Inserts... Word describing feminine hygiene product. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm Uh not going to say it's their right and your right to make any type of content you want. I just really can't tolerate any more dumping on Ryan or Kathleen Kennedy in podcasts I'm listening to looking for Star Wars appreciation and discussion. Again, you aren't doing that yet. Just getting hints of it. In other words, Mm. keep up the positivity. I've always appreciated your show's ability to be enthusiastic yet offered balanced criticism in a very professional way. Just my two cents. So you see in that correspondence right there, we are getting the opposite side of the coin from yeah right so so people kind of hear what they want to hear um or they perceive things differently even though they're listening to the same show now the email i just read i i agree with a lot of what was said especially the part let's quit trying to rewrite what can't be rewritten and i think that's a, a big issue with uh star wars fans these days who think that if they tweet or create petitions that somehow things in Star Wars that they dislike are going to go away or be remade or something like that. And quite honestly, that's not the case. If that effort does become the case, we'll talk about it and we'll analyze it because that will be the Star Wars that exists. But right now it's not. So let's concentrate on the Star Wars that actually is there as opposed to the Star Wars that is it. Now, as far as dumping on Ryan Johnson or Kathleen Kennedy, um, 
I don't know. Um, at the end of the day, I think we're all Star Wars fans before we're fans of Kathleen Kennedy or Ryan Johnson. Let's just be let's just be fair about it. Uh, you can be a diehard fan of your favorite home NFL team, but there could be people within the organization or on the team itself that you just simply despise. Yet that doesn't affect your passion for the team. You always want to see the team win. You want to go to all those games and cheer them on to victory because that's what you feel in your heart and that's what you're passionate about. But it doesn't mean you have to adore all the people that are involved with creating it. You know, the, the, it's a, it's a two way road and you know, in, 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 here, we're listening to two different uh, forms of feedback here that are saying two different things about our show. So, again, that proves to me that we are balanced. We are right in the middle of the road. We are presenting both sides of the conversation. However, it is not our priority to debate Star Wars or rewrite it or create a situation of anxiety because the film isn't what we thought it would be. And I think that's fair. I think it's important to stay right in the middle, to maintain our enthusiasm for the film and the franchise, but also maintain our integrity and our honesty. And that's what I hope we'll always be giving you here on Rebel Force Radio as we talk about Star Wars. Now, as for your question about whether Luke may have force projected himself to somewhere else, it's possible. <laughs> and we'll hear Mark talk about that yes. in some uh, great interview clips we have of him coming up later in the show. But first, let's give something away. Let's do it. Let's do it. We, uh, You guys know all about it. It's the big RFR Star Wars Top Trumps giveaway. The uh, folks at Top Trumps were uh, kind enough to give us uh, a full range of Star Wars Top Trumps. If you'd like to learn more about this really fun card game, visit TopTrumps.com. We asked you last week to hit the Twitter and follow Top Trumps and follow Rebel Force Radio and tweets to become eligible to win. I want to play at Top Trumps with at Rebel Force Radio. We took all of the entries from this past week and we chose a winner at random. And that winner is at Eddie Baker 2113 on Twitter. Eddie Baker says, I want to play Top Trumps with Rebel Force Radio. And so you will, Eddie. Uh, we'll be reaching out to you to get your mailing address and... Uh, Shipping information, and we will be sending out those uh, great Top Trumps cards. Really very fun game, especially, Jason, you have uh, the little ones in the house. It's a real easy game for little kids to pick up on. It's been extremely popular in the U.K. for decades. Paul Bateman tells me that he grew up on Top Trumps, and uh, so it's starting to uh, catch on here in the States, and the folks at Top Trumps were nice enough to uh, let us not only spread the word about Top Trumps, but to do so with a killer giveaway. We love giving back to the Rebel Force Radio listening audience. And Eddie Baker, you are a lucky winner of Star Wars Top Trumps. Thank you so much, Top Trumps. And thank you, everyone, for, uh, for participating in this giveaway. All right, let's hit one more voicemail. Let's see what uh, the next one brings. How about Eric from Phoenix? Take it away, Eric. Hey, Jason. Hey, Jimmy. This is Eric from Phoenix, and I'm listening to your most recent episode where you're talking about the Audible book, and you guys just got done talking about the prologue, which, by the way, is awesome, where Luke has a dream, and it's kind of an alternate um, universe, if you will, alternate decision. And, Jason, you're really hung up 
<laughs> on the moment Luke changes the decision to go get R2 and how that has basically eternal consequences. What I would say, Jason, is if you go to where he's in Obi-Wan's hut, in the regular timeline, he says no. They get in the speeder, and they happen to run into the Jawas, which then sends him back home, which then sends him on his journey. Um, let's say he says yes, he's going to go with Obi-Wan. They're going to get in the land speeder, and they go the exact same direction. They're going to run across the exact same Jawas, which then is going to lead him back. Um, you know, it, I, the only time he could change his mind, really, with the droids is that moment there that potentially changes up what happens. Uh, that's my take at least. So I don't know, maybe I'm totally off my rocker, but that's my two cents. Anyway, can't wait to continue listening. I still got an hour left. Thanks guys. <laughs> Bye. Well, he's well, right. You know, he is right. Yeah. I mean, can you find any, I mean, sure. Like maybe he spilled some blue milk at uh, dinner and that could have had massive implications on the history of the galaxy, but no, it really does come down to that one moment. Should I stay or should I go? And he decided to go right then in the middle of the night. And so, no reason to be gone during the day when the stormtrooper showed up. And when the stormtrooper showed up, they had what they were looking for. So that was the end of the story right there. <laughs> and R2 yells out a loud squeal as he's being placed into the Imperial Troop transport. And the door closes shut. Wank. I love yeah. that part of the audio book. I was like, oh, R2. Yeah. No, I, I, I look, I, I stand by what I said. Um, I just... I, I thought that it was uh, to show a moment where he made a choice. And at that point, it was sort of a bizarre choice. But as we've talked about earlier in this week's program, that it's, you know, some of it is largely fate and destiny and the events that transpired uh, and, and less about making an actual choice. All righty. But you're still you're still standing strong on your. Uh... I mean, for example, I mean, you did mention that moment when he's with Ben and he says no to Ben. Mm -hmm. um, if Luke said yes, everything would still go the, the way they went. You know, there's nothing pivotal about that moment, whether he says yes, or whether he says no. There's nothing pivotal about that moment, because mm. as our caller mentioned, he that still leaves. Owen and Baru there on the moisture farm, you know, waiting for the Imperials to come and exterminate them and still leaves the droids with Luke and Ben. So everything would unfold the way it unfolds anyway. Yes or no. So, yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm thinking, you know, outside of spilling the blue milk at dinner. I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, maybe Luke would have to leave to go get some, uh, Windex or something. I don't know. All right. Let's, uh, we're, we're, you know, I'm going right down the rabbit hole here. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the worst jobs in the Star Wars universe. Oh, there's right, a Jason? lot of bad jobs. Uh, Our friends at IGN compiled the list of the worst jobs in the Star Wars universe. And this is, uh, by the way, this list is brought to you by our friends at ZipRecruiter. So, uh, Jason, let's go through uh, the worst jobs in the Star Wars universe. Uh, let, let's alternate them. Uh, we'll start off with, uh, oh, boy, this one is a bad one. Uh, I'll let you take it away, Jason. Oh, boy, this is, uh, th this is one I'd never thought of, but someone had to do it. Uh, Porkins Gastroenterologist. Oh, 
Yeah, that's a rough one. Uh, some might define bravery as someone who defines the odds by taking part in an insanely daring assault on a mammoth orbiting death station with a destructo beam that can obliterate entire planets. Well, we define it as the poor bastard whose job it is to examine the bowels of X-Wing pilot Jack Tono Porkins. Talk about man versus food. This poor doctor must fear for his entire forearm whenever he has to probe the Sarlacc pit that is Porkins' strained colon. Oh, God. Wow. All right, so bad job number one. Uh-huh. You do not want that job. You do not. You don't want the job of rebel pilot either. Unless your name ends with Skywalker, Solo, or Antilles, it sucks to be a rebel pilot. Chances are you'll die in a fiery death battling some Imperial superweapon or another. And while all the good-looking survivors party it up at Endor with Lay and the Ewoks, you're nothing but scrap metal and space dust. So that's a, a so so far two terrible jobs. Hard to hire for these positions because no one wants them. I bet. All right. How about Sith Lord? Okay. All well, right. See, that's be... a job I would like. Why? Why wouldn't that be? A well, good job? okay. It could be argued that you'll have unlimited power, can shoot lightning from your hands, and choke your enemies with a thought. All rad. What, what did Kyle Newman write this? <laughs> All rad, granted, but if you're a Sith Lord, you're also pretty much saying, I am more than happy to die a nasty death, most likely involving dismemberment and a betrayal at the hands of my one and only co-worker. <laughs> All right, so yes. Little, right. Uh, little job security there and little uh, life expect- short life expectancy for that job. So that's a bad job. But uh, I think being a Cloud City Ugnaught would be way worse. Oh, boy. We imagine these ugly little buggers are called Ugnaughts because that's the, the approximate sound people make when they see them for the first time. Ugh. Ugnaughts are doomed to life of obscurity in the bowels of Cloud City with their only amusement coming by way of torturing and dismantling the occasional protocol droid who happens to wander through. And nothing comes between them in dipping scoundrels into carbonite chambers. These twitchy mouth breeders treat carbonite freezing like it's a saw trap, getting their tinglies by seeing how low the life support systems on the freezing units can go. Sure, Solo's no good to fat dead, but to them, dead is the only way to go. Okay? So, Ugnot. That doesn't seem so bad. I mean... You know, they are what they are. You can insult them and say that they're ugly looking, but, you know, they got a job to do and they do their job. So I I don't think it would be too hard to hire Cloud City Ugnots if you were, like, you know, actually headhunting, right? Well, you you know, it's a pretty specific uh, thing that you're looking for, little pig people. Yeah, little people, right, little Ugnots. Right. Yeah, that's all you need. From that carbon freeze chamber. All right, how about stormtroopers on Endor? Okay. Right? They're basically walking proton cannon f- fodder, but at least on most planets, they can die a quick death from blaster fire of light or lightsaber strikes. On Endor, however, stormtroopers face death by teddy bear <laughs> and their rocks and their log-fueled death strikes and speeder bike crashes. And God help you if you're pulling duty at the power station. If you get taken out by a group of rebel scum in a in camo, the guys in the break room back aboard the Stardust Rail will never let you live it down. Oh, those guys. Yeah, we'd rather get duped by Jedi mind tricks than take up the post on Endor. All right, so being a stormtrooper on Endor is bad. But I got one that's way worse. 
Jabba slave girls, okay? No, Ula, like Ula. Ula, for example. Yeah. Jabba must offer an enticing signing bonus to six-breasted dancing girls and the poor girls chained to his throne slab because it's difficult to imagine why anyone would sign up to dance in his palace. The boss is literally a slimy slug monster, and the clientele are shady at best. One wrong move means you're ranker food. So that's a, that's a terrible job. Hard to find qualified candidates to be as... A dancing girl in uh, Jabba's uh, Jabba's palace. Mm. All right. Uh, no arguing with that one. Oh, this is one. This is kind of obvious. I mean, ever since A New Hope first came out, we know that the Death Star weapons officer was a tough job. Totally. A, compet- a competitive salary, good health benefits, dental and vision, life insurance, 401k, flex spending, employee discounts. But what good is the GED he earned on the Emperor's dime when Death Star Weapons Officer is standing next to a huge, cancer-causing beam of planet-destroying energy on a platform above a death chasm with no ratings. Or, hold on. On a, on a platform above a death chasm with no railings. It's time to ask for a transfer. <laughs> I've always wondered about that. And I, I wonder if they, they need to wear extra SPF when they're standing there on that platform, too, as the death beam goes flying by them. What's the purpose oh, yeah. of that? Why, why, do, <laughs> yeah, why does that, a, a beam that could destroy planets, it can't operate unless you have two guys there on the side there, like priming the pumps. That's weird. But uh, needless to say, filling a position at the Death Star would have been easier if the Empire had ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring, posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it? ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. Even if it's a job manning the Death Star Planet Destruction Beam. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive. So you'll never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now... RFR listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RFR. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RFR. ZipRecruiter.com slash RFR. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Are you offering me a job? Wouldn't be nice to you. Doesn't pay much. You're offering me a job. I have good news for you, my lord. That's... Good news. Come closer, I have good news. All right. As we said, Mark Hamill making the rounds. That's some clips of the appearance that he made on CNN with director of The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson. So what do we got here? First, uh, oh. Oh, this is good stuff. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. The pressures. Like we said, Mark Hamill's been all over the place lately. He's on an interview circuit tour that's been just so darn entertaining. It seems like every day I wake up and I find a new Mark Hamill interview. As a matter of fact, we have so many it's going to spill into next week for sure. But uh, this time around, we got 
I love it when Ryan Johnson is sitting right next to Mark Hamill during these things, too. It's crazy. So uh, we have both Ryan and Mark there. They, they're visiting CNN to promote the Last Jedi home video release. And Ryan talks about what are some of the biggest pressures when creating Star Wars, what he has to do when he's creating Star Wars, and how he deals with fan expectation. I guess just at the very beginning of it, getting your head in the right space of this has to be a personal story that comes from here. We kind of had to form a bubble around ourselves Mm. at the very start of it and say, we're going to tell a story that we care about. We're going to make choices that feel right to us. And we're not going to second guess any of them based on, oh, my God, what is everyone going to think of this? We're just going to follow our own kind of internal. I know when I would say we got to remember what the fans think. He says, no, we got to remember what we think, which I mean, that was a really uh, a pivotal moment for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes back to uh, that voicemail we got earlier. Mm, right. You know, talking about why can't they just give the fans what they want? Um, that's really not the way it works. It's not like Star Wars films get focus groups. They don't have test screenings for the public. There are no surveys handed out after test screenings. It's about creating additions to a mythology that's existed for 40 years now. And with that comes individual or individuals who have to take the burden of responsibility to make it happen. And they can't send out surveys to every fan to say, would you like to see A, B, and C happen in the next Star Wars film? Because you know what? The the variety of different responses they would get would just be incredible. You can't satisfy everyone. You have to trust your gut. And when you're a creative force, people like Brian Johnson, J.J. Abrams, Lawrence Kasdan, you know, you have to, to go in the direction that you feel works the best for the story you're trying to tell. Not, it's not crowdsourcing. It can't happen yeah. anyway. It's impossible. Yeah. can't happen. It would be a mishmash of a mess of a movie. So that's Ryan, and he's, you know, he's, he's standing, standing firm. Not saying, well, you know, I really wish I had this information from the fans before I made the film because I would have avoided sea cows. I would have avoided grumpy <laughs> Jedi who shut themselves off the force. Mm. I would have avoided Carrie Fisher in space. I would have avoided purple-haired Laura Dern. I don't think so. I, I don't see how any storyteller could survive in that environment. It would be disingenuous. It would be phony art. It wouldn't be art. It wouldn't be artwork at all. It would just be a hodgepodge collage of whatever. You know? I don't yeah. need... I And see, that's when consultants and things like that come into play and totally disrupt the creative process. When you're working on something and a marketing consultant comes in and says, well, you have to change this to that. You have to change this. People won't like that. They won't like this. You know, who, you can't you have to just make it personal and if there's anything we've learned about johnson's approach to the film is that he wanted to make it something that he could personally connect to and we're all not ryan johnson for us to make that connection that's a gamble ryan johnson's taking and as an artist that's the gamble he takes every time he creates a film 
It's just the nature of the beast. All right. How about this? Now, this came up last week where one of the things we were questioning was just how emphatic, or maybe this was two weeks ago when we were examining the, the documentary that was on the home video release, but just how emphatic and why was he so emphatic that Luke had to die in episode eight? We heard him say a couple of times, yeah. you know, I, I knew, here, here's what I knew. I knew that, that we had to set up these characters with the most challenging thing that could possibly happen to them. And I knew that Luke Skywalker had to die. Right. Without giving any, us any sort of insight into how he came to that conclusion as he was right. crafting this story. And that began to frustrate me because Ryan will go in great detail, breaking things down and explaining why. Well, it just made the most sense to me, which is what he's really fond of saying. It just, yeah. it just made the most sense to me right. this, for the story. And he says that about the death of Luke Skywalker, but does it ever really say, in my opinion, what led him to, how did he know Luke had to die? How did he know? And so me being a paranoid conspiracy theorist, kind of cynical kind of guy, I jumped to the conclusion that despite the fact that Ryan claims he'd been given free reign on crafting the story, that there were certain elements that he was told by the corporation that must be included in his script. And the death of Luke Skywalker is one of them. That's just a conspiracy theory. So, But Ryan kind of puts that to rest here in the CNN interview, in my opinion, when he's asked flat out, was there ever a version of the script where Luke doesn't die? It's not something where it was just like, this has to happen in this movie. It was something that got too organically. It was never like a mandate. So, yeah, there was lots of stuff during it where I would, and it was a big thing. It's not something I've, I've ever wanted to do. It was not even something I decided and that was it. It was something all the way up until the end. And even through all our conversations, I, I was honest, because it would be the easiest thing in the world. Just you don't fade them out at the end. You just leave them on the island. That would have been simple. The only reason it, it was something that I gave lots of thought to all the way up until the very end of the process. It's all right. I'm still in denial. I think I just forks projected to another planet. I like <laughs> modern-day New York. I like the idea that you appear at the beginning of Nine in modern-day New York. Handling in front of Hooters. I like it, yeah. <laughs> But then again, you know, in Jurassic Park 2, they brought all the dinosaurs to New York. So this would just be like bringing another dinosaur to New York. Yeah, or the crew of the Enterprise to uh, modern-day San Francisco. And I'm, not calling Mark, and I'm not calling Mark Hamill a dinosaur either. Trust me, folks. I am definitely not doing that. But, uh, well, but it, it does, you know, in some ways, as we were talking about, is it fan service? You know, what is the what's in the best interest of, of the story? And, you know, he says, well, it'd be the easiest thing in the world to just leave him there on that island. You know, that's where I start to disagree a little bit. I, I don't know that that's necessarily easy. I think the easiest thing would have been to have him jump in his X-wing and fly off into battle and, you know, uh, be the big hero in a very, you know, much more... Um, you know, uh, physical way than than, than what he did. I, I think that whole device of the projection was extraordinarily clever. It was it, it added uh, a really kind of uh, I don't know it's spiritual edge to that part of the movie. Um, but here's a question though, and this somebody asked me this 
at the day job. All right, you ready for this one? Yeah. Do you remember the lightsaber that Luke was using in his showdown with Kylo? Yes. Which was? It was his saber from the one that Ben Kenobi gave him that originally belonged to Anakin Skywalker. Right. But didn't Kylo watch that lightsaber get ripped in two? Yeah, but he could have just thought that Luke in his exile built another one. I mean, he knows that, you know. You don't think that, that, that Kylo would have recognized that lightsaber? That lightsaber belongs to me. He had his eye on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it's plausible. You know, I mean, I saw it destroyed. I saw it ripped in half. Yeah. But maybe just in his rage, he wasn't seeing the lightsaber. He was just seeing the guy that he really wanted. Well, to I, I get it. But how hard would it have been to give him his green lightsaber? Well, then, yeah, I guess. I mean, I Why would did say, he have well, to have the blue he, one. Wouldn't, maybe Kylo took his green saber. You never know that. I mean, maybe. Maybe when, you don't have an answer for this. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. When Kylo, <laughs> there pulls, is no answer. When Kylo uses the force to pull that hut down on Luke when he gets woken yeah. in his sleep, uh-huh. wouldn't that damn hut also fall on Kylo, who's just laying there in bed? I mean, how did he make it all just fall on Luke without it hitting mm. him too? I mean, Luke was standing right over him in bed. He would have had run- to take some of the roof on his. You know, would have landed on him. Well, too. I, wait a minute. I thought he kind of pushed Luke out of it. Didn't he sort of force push Luke out of the hut and he went flying back? Well, I guess it, maybe it depends on, yeah, I guess if, if if that's the angle, we could look at it that way. Yeah, I didn't think that like, the, it came down from above on him. I, that's what it looked like to me. Well, but yeah, you may. Well, maybe. But, maybe. Uh, who maybe cares? Just, Again, as I said, let's not talk about the Star Wars that isn't. Let's talk about the Star Wars that is. I like the idea of just the two feet sticking out from under the hut like in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. Who killed my sister? (laughs) But so Luke Luke is dead. He's dead and gone. Uh, Maybe. It's possible he could come back. So, of course, they they ask him on CNN, will Luke return? I really don't know. It's it's totally uh, up to JJ and Lucasfilm, and but I feel content. You know, whether I'm not in it or I'm in it, I'm fine with nine because I had a perfect entrance in seven, and Ryan gave me a perfect exit in eight. So mm, perfect and I, I think, exit, and I think we might hear him uh, talk a little bit more about uh, Luke dying. And the possibility of him coming back a little later. That that sounds very similar to something Luke said earlier you know, last week. Mark Hamill said last week on the show where, you know, mm-hmm. I think he's just skirting the question. I think he's already signed, sealed and delivered for Ep9. And he's just feigning ignorance about it because he doesn't want to spoil the surprise. And I also think that they are not going to publicize Mark Hamill's appearance in Episode 9. That's what I think. Ah. Um, I, you know, I just was taking for granted that he was going to be a nine. I, um, I, I think we mentioned this before. I, I know there wasn't an official release or an announcement, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I, I would be more shocked <laughs> if I, you know, if he wasn't in it. Well, it's like Liam Neeson uh, he, in Revenge of the Sith. We all thought well, for sure he'd have. Well, to he was in that motorcycle accident. Remember, he was going to be in it. But he was no, in that motorcycle no, accident. No, no, no. There's no. There's no validity to that. I, I I don't think there was never a script 
that had Liam Neeson actually in the film. But there was a moment where Yoda is communicating with Qui-Gon Jinn, and you hear his voice. But him appearing as as a a force spirit, that was never part of the story for Revenge of the Sith. I don't believe. Mm. I think it was. All right. Well, it wasn't. So Mark Hamill was out (laughs) about, and it wasn't just CNN. He was everywhere, and not just with Ryan Johnson, but with other um, uh, uh, colleagues. And uh, this this is a great one, Jason. This is uh, a conversation between Mark Hamill and Frank Oz. I was so excited for this. Wait, wait, wait. wait, How did this come about? This happened. Frank Oz have a podcast now? No, no, no. This actually happened in front of a a live audience at the Kaufman Concert Hall in New York City last week. It was an event for 92nd Street Y, which is a world class cultural center where people all over the world connect through culture, arts, entertainment. I'm I'm very familiar with them. Yep, very familiar with them. So, uh, did a big event there last week. Uh, reuniting uh, Luke and Yoda. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, a conversation between uh, Mark Hamill and Frank Oz, with, with Frank basically conducting an interview with Mark is kind of how it went down. I would have much rather hear them talk about working together, share stories from what it was like being on the set, as opposed to just it was a more straightforward interview where Frank was like, oh, tell me how you got into acting, you know, things like that. But mm-hmm. there was some good Star Wars moments in there. And uh, at one point, uh, there was discussion uh, between Mark and Frank about the Yoda puppet, the, the actual physical puppet itself. People say, is it hard to, to uh, m- make Yoda real? I said, are you kidding me? He was real for me from day one. I so, uh, it couldn't have been any better than I imagined to have him work. That's why it was such a thrill that they went back to old school and used a puppet in The Last Jedi instead of... And and nothing, nothing against CGI, which is amazing, but there's something about a physical uh, uh, presence, the depth, the weight. There's something, the human eye detects that uh, and it's 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 just so much more real because otherwise I don't know how you did it in the in the prequels whether it was a, a stick with a piece of tape on it or a, a model of Yoda but you, you did the voice and they played the tracks on set is that the way I did, did a scratch it? track and then I did the final later but I I, I did I worked with uh, live Yoda one oh you more, did one more time yeah with, oh on the prequels and then they replaced and, and then it with CGI yeah, yeah. oh yes. The one that Jimmy affectionately refers to as the Catcher Mitt with Eyes, yeah. the episode one Yoda <laughs> puppet. Yes. Um, yeah. Green Catcher's Mitt with Eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 okay. So, uh, but I mean, that's, it's just kind of cool to hear those guys go back and forth a little bit. And oh, obviously, yeah. you know, giving props to the Yoda puppets, which I think Frank Oz really never wants to deal with ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you got the puppet here. What's this all about? I, I really, yeah. you know, it's just like, come on. He said, I heard Frank say uh, at one point, uh, boy, I don't remember where it was, but he said, if there were ever to be a Star Wars feature that focused on Yoda, you know, he was the star of the film. He was the uh-huh. protagonist of the film about Yoda. He said, there's no way, no way that he would perform a puppet for that thing. It would have to be CG. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's he's comfortable with that, which is interesting because yeah. you know he he's a puppet, he's an artist, he he's done so much in that medium. But I, I think he recognizes for strength of storytelling, the Yoda puppet can only go so far. And what they created in Empire Strikes Back was truly remarkable. I mean, just truly remarkable to yeah. get that thing to be living and breathing and 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 for us to accept it in that way that's kirsch that i think a lot of that has to do with kirsch yeah and and of course a lot has to do with uh frank and mark Mm -hmm. and uh we're gonna jump down to cut four here mark discusses having fun within the realm of star wars and reveals a little bit about how his his imagination the, the same imagine he's cultivated since he was a little kid has been able to provide him with the tools he needs to perform in the universe of Star Wars, and uh, this results in a nice, uh, a warm and fuzzy moment where uh, Frank Oz truly gives Mark Hamill his props as an actor. I've said this many times. If you can't have fun making a Star Wars movie, something's, something's really wrong with you. It's, 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 it's just fun all day long. And, you know, I think, you know, I'd be in that situation like when we were getting ready to swing across with the prince, I was thinking... I've done this before. I played Zorro in my backyard. I played Robin Hood. I played all these things. Now I have all these grown-ups helping me play Zorro and Robin Hood. You know, so I used my sister's jump rope and broke it and got in trouble. Now I'm in a harness and there's all these people that will protect me and allow me to do that. It was just fantastic. Wow. I'll try and keep my answers short. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me butt in for a second. Uh, the... Uh, just so you know, I've said this all the time, and I just want people to know this, uh, that uh, about half of Yoda is him. If he didn't believe in Yoda, it wouldn't work. So That is so, you so know that. kind of you to say, because I disagree. I think it's he's so... true. Yoda... Next question. <laughs> it cuts him off right there. Because yeah. Mark will be so, you know... Uh, you know, self-effacing and, you know, humble and everything, and... And Frank yeah. won't have any of it. Frank sees that coming no, from no, him. Frank, Next question. He, he's such a no-nonsense guy. He really is. He really yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, you, you've interviewed the man. You've been in the recording studio yeah. with him. Yeah. And uh, uh, I remember asking you, I'm like, well, well, you know, what was he like? What was he like? And, and, and I, I, I remember you saying that, you know, he was very polite. Yes. Um, but also very direct. Yes. And, you know, I mean, just not a lot of flowery language, just... Very straightforward dude. Straightforward, yeah. And uh, a little quirky. You could tell he's somebody who sort of, you know, marches to the beat of his own drum. Hmm. And I get that. And uh, I, I dig it. So I just want to thank uh, the folks at 92nd Street Y for allowing the Rebel Force Radio microphones to be there. And we will be releasing the entire audio of that conversation, 90 minutes of Mark Hamill talking to Frank Oz. Uh, we'll be releasing that as an exclusive for members of our Patreon community. Awesome, awesome. All right, uh, so uh, more Mark Hamill. More Mark, more Mark. Okay, let's yep. let's let's burn through this pretty quickly. Here's Mark Hamill. Uh, he sat down with the folks at Cinema Blend, uh, Cinema Blend, and uh, this, this there's a little reveal here about uh, 
Mark's uh, opinion about how fast and furious Disney is working, uh, pumping out Star Wars films these days. Uh, he's asked a question, are there limitations to stories that can be told in the Star Wars universe? And that leads into some conversation about, uh, is Disney doing too much too fast? Well, there shouldn't be. I mean, it's a canvas that's so infinite. I mean, with the standalone films, I mean, they can all have their own identity. Rogue One can be gritty and, and a, like a, a war film. I'm assuming, I don't know, but I would assume that Solo will be more uh, comedically oriented because he's Looks a like a heist element to it. So. Yeah, yeah, so yes, and he's a scoundrel and a gambler and a womanizer and all those things. So I think the advantage of the standalone films, they don't have to follow the... Uh, the the formula of a trilogy so they can establish their premise, get it on, get it done, and get out leaving the audience wanting more. So there's infinite possibilities. I would say they should pace themselves because you don't want to oversaturate it. I mean, I said to Disney, really? Five months after we come out, it comes this movie. Can't you at least wait till Christmas? But they're so, uh, you know, they've got things booked. You know, they're doing Marvel and, and their own movies. Oh, I can just imagine Mark Hamill suggesting that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> isn't that cute? Well, uh, it, no, when, when Mark got... says these things, too, let me just point something out. Uh-huh. When Mark says, I told Disney this, you always picture like him like sitting in the boardroom with all the big muckety-mucks sitting around a table. It's probably just him and some Disney rep in the back of a cab somewhere. <laughs> You guys are going too fast. It's like, all right, Mark, we got to get over to CNN now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, some would argue that he has a point, right? Sure. Well, some we've, we've asked the question point. many times yeah. here on this show. Mm-hmm. Many times. Yeah. What's the rush? Yeah. And they are working with a, a limited schedule because they do have so many properties. Well, they had it paced out pretty well originally, but then... JJ needed an extension on seven. Um, eight came out on time. Uh, they moved solo, right? They moved solo. No, no, that was always targeted for a May twenty fifth release. They weren't always projected. You no, know, yes, something happened. Were, well, okay, maybe no. solo, but I don't remember them always projecting a uh, five month. No, gap. the only release dates that were messed with were uh, obviously The Force Awakens, which was moved from May to December. I believe the original plan was to release one Star Wars film a year in May. But then they had to move to December because of J.J., who demanded more time. Yes. And then that little movie they released in December became the all-time U.S. box office champ. So now they see gold in them thar hills when it comes to December releases. And also, just to keep it on a more balanced schedule, by putting The Force Awakens in December, then you move Rogue One to a December release. And then you have the two years into, oh, no, no, that's not right. And then with Solo, the May release. And then they were targeting a May release next year. No, in two years. (laughs) This gets confusing. Mm -hmm. In Mm -hmm. two years... No, next year. <laughs> they were a re- so like they wanted Ep9 to come out. Originally it was announced it was coming out May 2019. Yes. So 
you can see as far as distribution goes, there was an attempt to get it back to that May release date. You know, Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. I think the Disney company would have just been fine with Memorial Day releases for Star Wars films when they inked the deal with George Lucas back in 2012. Well, we'll just put out Star Wars movies and Memorial Day weekend on May for the rest of uh, our lives. <laughs> the rest of our lives. But then with yeah. J.J., it became necessary to move it to December, and then they made so much money. So, you 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 know, you, you want to stick with what's working. But uh, like I said, the attempt was made to reclaim May. But then the Colin Trevorrow fallout happened, and the film got pushed back. So uh, we'll see how it goes after, you know, I think that post episode nine, we're going to have a sense of a little bit of a reset going on with Star Wars. I firmly believe that the palette will be cleansed and ready for the Game of Thrones guys and their films and Ryan Johnson's all new trilogy. So I think things are going to be very different after 2019 when it comes to Star Wars and what our expectations are. Too, you know, will we see multiple releases in a single year like they do with Marvel? Will they do about three Marvel films a year? Will we see something like that eventually happen with Star Wars? I think it's very possible. Hmm. Despite Mark well, Hamill claiming yeah. that His he warning. told them, he warned them. Yeah. Well, I don't know that I disagree with Mark, actually. I mean, I, I believe me, you know, I'll, I'll eat all that is thrown at I me. I really don't know. What? <laughs> but, um, you know, I've got a big appetite for this stuff, but I just wonder if it if it could lead to some burnout. You know, I, I was the guy once upon a time that said, oh, my gosh, these books, they're coming out, you know, four, five, six, seven, ten a year. Well, let's get some pacing and let's make sure that this is uh, unique and special and exciting each time it happens. But. Uh, I know what we'll you're see. thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're like, hey, why are you guys releasing five books a year that I don't read when you could just release one book a year that I won't read? Exactly. Exactly. All right, Mark Hamill. Exactly. He's still. He's, right. he's everywhere. He, you put a microphone yep. in front of him. He'll 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 be there. So uh, Mark Hamill. He showed up on Sirius XM Channel 45, the Shade Channel, on a morning show called Sway's Universe. Sway in the morning, and uh, Sway asked Mark. What happened to Luke at the end of The Last Jedi? Someone said, hey, if you, uh, you know, disappeared into the force world or whatever, became a force ghost, why didn't your mechanical hand plop down on the rock? And I ran with that. I said, Uh see, it's proof positive. I just force projected somewhere else. I left my robes. I'm on a nudist planet somewhere (laughs) in a galaxy far, far away. And, you know, because Lucasfilm said, don't get your hope. You're dead. Get used to it all. But I'm just having fun. So did Lucasfilm Mm. say to Mark, don't get your hopes up? Because Mark just said that. Lucasfilm said that to him. Yeah. Yeah. But he's paraphrasing. He's saying Lucasfilm said, don't go out on the interview circuit and say you're going to be in episode nine because we're trying (laughs) to save that as a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, they might even save it as a surprise to the extent that they don't even tell Mark himself because, (laughs) you know. He goes out there. Or no, even, even crazier. Mark gets on screen, and when he talks, it's not his voice, but it's David Prouse's voice. That's weird. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a Twilight Zone episode? Wow. 
All right, so yep. Mark Mark's hanging out with the crew sway in the morning, and uh, this is interesting to me because uh, uh, we actually talked to Robert England about this years ago. But there is a connection between Robert England, Freddy Krueger actor Robert England, and Mark Hamill, and their paths were uh, definitely crossing all the time. Back in the 70s when they were young actors going out auditioning for similar roles and stuff. And uh, the question is asked uh, about this rumor that's been floated around out there for years. Did Robert England convince Mark Hamill to try out for Luke Skywalker? Well, we were hanging out at the time, and in, in uh, Hollywood, you don't tell your friends about a role until you've been rejected yourself, right? right? So he went on, I think he went out for Han Solo, and he said, hey, there's this movie called Star Wars, uh, George Lucas is doing it, and I, I knew him from American Graffiti, he said, you really should check it out. So yeah, but you know what I didn't say, because he's written about it in his books, and I love Robert, but the thing is, my agent, when I called her, she said, I already have an audition for you set up. Uh, Gary Busey told me about it because I was working with him. He's playing my older brother. I heard it from like five or six different people, but I don't want to take that away from Robert because that's his thing. You know? <laughs> Not I mean, anymore. It's, 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 no, but it's embellished over the years to the part where we, we were roommates. We were never roommates. You know? <laughs> wow. The story just grows and grows and grows. But, you know. Uh, <laughs> But you don't want to take nothing away from him. <laughs> right. No, but listen, I mean, he's the first one I heard it from, I have to tell you. But, <laughs> okay, so he gets the credit for that. Of course. All right. All right. He's All right. not getting 10%, but yeah, he gets good. credit. <laughs> well, let's get in the Wayback Machine and go back to, I believe this was C2E2. No, no. No? no this was an event in Dallas. Oh, this was... Yep, this was and, a fan days event in Dallas. And uh, we cornered Robert England. Yep. And with, you know, I mean, very little uh, arm twisting at all. <laughs> we asked him about that, about the Mark Hamill audition story, what his role was in it. Because we've been hearing these rumors ourselves. We yeah. heard the rumor, I believe we heard the rumor that Robert was auditioning for the role of Mark or the role of Luke, yep. and uh, that's how Mark learned about it and everything. So, so let's just cut to the uh, tape. This is Robert England telling us his take on Mark Hamill and how he got that audition for Star Wars. Mark Hamill, good buddy, back in the day, was uh, busy at the Mary Tyler Moore Studios a lot, which was across the street from where I lived in the old Laurel Canyon. And Mark was at my house all the time. I go over the hill... In my beat-up Datsun 1600 Fair Lady sports car with primer spots all over it to the old uh, Goldwyn lot, I walk in and I'm up for the surfer in Apocalypse Now. Now, I'm young and buff and strong. I'm a surfer. I'm tan. I have Billy Cat American hero hair down to my back. I'm wearing a pair of skin-tight green Levi's and work boots and a uh, thrift shop army surplus shirt with the sleeves rolled up and my surfing muscles bulging and I go in for the surfer and I'm too old. I want to read for the cook, the Freddie Forrest. Yes. Book, right? I, they, won't, they won't read me for the cook because they say I'm too young. So I'm dejected. I'm not going to be in Apocalypse Now. And the lady looks at me and she walks around me and she says, but you might be right for something across the hall. I go across the hall now I'm there with Zoe Trope. Francis Ford Coppola's best friend is George Lucas at this time. They right. send me across the hall, 
and they saw me for Han Solo. Okay. Uh, all right. right. And I saw some sides and blah, blah, blah. And I went home and told Mark. He gets on the horn to his agent, and I think Mark got in and nailed down Luke Skywalker forever. Now, back in that same apartment, Mark Hamill coming back from, you know, two years shooting you know, again, in a green screen, you know, uh, and hanging out with Carrie and Alec Guinness. And we came back and t- I've heard all the stories about Tunisia. I heard all the stories about working with Alec Guinness. I heard all the stories about his crush on Carrie Fisher, you know, and Mark, Mark shared all the great gossip of, of the making of Star Wars. All right. I don't see a whole lot of difference between their stories. Um, yes, it's been embellished, but I think part of that embellishment has been uh, fans recounting the story. So you go to a convention, you hear Robert England speak, and he gives that story. You're like, yeah, they were roommates, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, it sounds, I mean, the only real difference that I hear is that what what Robert leaves out is that when Mark made the call to his agent, the, the, the audition had already been booked. So beyond that, I think their stories line up pretty well. Yeah, and when Robert told us his story he said he wanted to set it straight too yeah that's right because he believed that there was some fallacy being thrown around out there but all well, these well, years later I, right all these right. years well, later the crew at sirius xm they still think that that's legit that <laughs> that they were roommates and that he was up for hot for he was up for luke and that he convinced hamill to go try out for the role right um, and then the other thing that Mark says is we were never roommates, but I think in our interview with Robert England, he also says, well, you know, Mark used to bring girls over to my place all the time because he lived in a dump. <laughs> <laughs> Something along those lines. I'll right. tell you what, again, yeah. another bonus for the RFR Patreon community. I'll put up that full interview with Robert England. Uh, yeah. I have, I, I found actually the whole unedited interview today. So I'll put that up there and, uh, we have all kind of cool things happening with our Patreon community. We unleashed a new podcast called RFR all access and, uh, that's uh, available to everyone in the all access tier and above, which is basically, uh, some studio chatter between Jason and myself. If I deem it appropriate to release to the public, <laughs> then, uh, you guys will get it, but just, you can kind of hear us warming up for the show. And uh, that's a Patreon exclusive. Uh, RFR Rush Hour will be coming back very soon. And uh, I have a special for fans of Star Wars music coming this weekend. It's not a podcast. It is audio. And that's all I'm going to say. But uh, I'm going through a lot of my old stuff. And I'm finding a lot of good stuff that's never been released to anyone before. And... uh, so if you're a fan of Star Wars music, I'm going to have something for you on our Patreon page this weekend. So be sure to check it out. Patreon.com slash Rebel Force Radio. Luck has files and attack positions. Hi, this is Dennis Lawson, and you're listening to Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. The size of that thing. Cut the shot, all right, too. From Tops comes the digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. Yes, collect and trade Star Wars digital cards. All of your favorite characters, vehicles, and locations from the Star Wars universe are here, including replicas of those amazing and iconic original 1977 Top Star Wars trading cards to futuristic all-new cards with exciting digital twists. Plus, exclusive cards and images from Star Wars The Last Jedi, The Force Awakens, and much more. Even Star 
Wars Rebels. Download it today in the App Store or in Google Play. And of course, we're using the Star Wars Card Trader app here at Rebel Force Radio. You can always trade with us here 24-7, 365 days a year. Just search username Rebel Force Radio and do it all from the comfort of your mobile device. It's the Tops Star Wars Card Trader app. These are the cards you're looking for. It's unthinkable. Oh, well, the unthinkable has happened. You know, one of the hallmarks of being a Star Wars fan is collecting and playing with all the great merchandise, particularly the toys. Jim, as you once said, the four-inch Star Wars action figure is the, 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 the very center of Star Wars collecting. Yes. And one of the venues that a lot of us growing up used to collect said action figures was the Toys R Us chain of stores. Well, after 70 years in business, Toys R Us is closing its doors. Uh, This is going to have huge ramifications for the toy industry. The buying power of Toys R Us is immense. Uh, so you can imagine if you're a Hasbro, even if you're a Hasbro or a Mattel, a big manufacturer losing those sales. Mm. And that guarantee is going to have, I think, a, a, a profound impact. Um, interesting that this is happening at the same time as the Jabba sale barge is being offered up on uh, the HasLab. Mm-hmm. Because you got the sort of the two extremes. You've got the traditional... Uh, you know, brick and mortar store closing its doors, and then you've got the very modern, uh, crowdsourced or crowdfunded project from a major uh, manufacturer, uh, sold directly to the consumer outside of the uh, outside of the stores completely. But nevertheless, Toys R Us going out of business. It's very sad. Growing up as a kid, we had Children's Palace. Sure. In my area. And then up north in the Cleveland area, there was the Lionel Kitty City. Mm-hmm. I do remember the first time I ever went to a Toys R Us back in the day. Big fan of professional wrestling. And uh, we had heard that pro wrestler Big John Stud was oh. going to be. You, you, some of you guys remember. Sure. Big John Stud was going to be making an appearance at the uh, Toys R Us in uh i believe it was in in the akron area and so we all piled into mom's camaro and drove off to the toys r us and got there to find out that that toys r us hadn't been uh completed yet they were still building it Mm. and that was a big bummer so that was the first time i ever sat in the parking lot of a toys r us (laughs) but not the last not the last, that's for sure, because I was so excited when they decided to build one in my hometown here in Canton, Ohio, that I would even I would ask my grandmother to drive out so that we could just check on the progress, see how the store was coming along. <laughs> you got your little this, hard hat there with you. Oh, the promise of, of Toys R Us was was so exciting. And then, of course, my college years, uh, when I really started being a hardcore collector with the with the uh, the new uh, with the power of the force two line that came out there in the late uh, late nineties, uh, 
that was part of my summer uh, rounds. You know, I would get up every morning and I would hit Walmart, hit Target, and hit Toys R Us, and then maybe KB Toys in the mall. And I'd hit all of those. And uh, it's just, it's just really sad. It's, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, it was something a big part of my childhood. I know a lot of childhoods. So to hear that that chain is no more, I will say this. Okay, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not so sentimental that I'm stupid. I heard that the store was going out of business a few weeks ago. We all heard that the chain was closing, so took the kids out on a Saturday. Say, let's see what's going on here. Maybe we'll get some deals. Okay, the place was packed, absolutely packed to the get. I mean, that people had shopping carts full of stuff. I walk in, I go, wow, this must be what was stuff half off. What what's going on here? And I finally found an employee. As a matter of fact, this guy, I know he's the store manager because it says so on his tag. Uh, this guy has been the store manager of this Toys R Us since I was in high school. And I've, well, I shouldn't say he was the manager then. This guy has been a face, a familiar face at Toys R Us since I was in high school. He's now the store manager. Wow. And uh, he confirmed that at this time there were no deals. Uh, there were there was no discount. There was really outside of the clearance aisle itself. There was nothing on clearance. The sales hadn't started yet because the uh, bankruptcy was still you know in in process and what they needed to get out of the merchandise. All that was 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 still up in the air. But the reason for the rush was because the announcement was made that gift cards only had thirty more days. Of a shelf life. Oh, I see. Okay. So here we are, and at this time, this would have been February. Right. I think late February, early March, maybe. And you're only just a few months away from Christmas. Think of how many Toys R Us gift cards were bought and circulated after Christmas. A lot. A lot. So you had all those people there. So fast forward a couple weeks, and I happened to see a post on Facebook that the stores were now ready and they were rolling out 30% off. Okay, 30% off is not too bad. It's worth going out there and checking. But once I got in the door, of course, I go running towards the action figures. Action figures were only 10% off. Oh, well, because they understand the collectability of that. Sure, and, sure. Uh, that's something that will and sell. When they say action figures, Jim, they meant the the Funko Pops. Yeah. They considered those action figures, you know, traditional action figures, all that stuff. Action figures, 10% off. Electronics, 5% off. Right. 5% off. Because the demand is there, and they know that stuff will move. It's the stuff like that they'll sell on the cheap, like... Uh, the SpongeBob sprinkler or something that kids jump through in the summertime. That's 50% off. We got to move this thing. You know, but uh, yeah, collectibles, yeah. electronics, it doesn't matter if your store is going out of business and you're liquidating everything. You're you're going to move that stuff even at full price. So I, I think that's uh, smart that there. Now, as if the clock is ticking and the stores need to close, then, you know, I, I'd be surprised if they don't work out a deal with some other big box distributor to take some of their inventory, probably yeah. at a, you know, at a massive discount. But when you're dealing with that huge volume of stuff, you know, then then they can afford to wheel and deal. But if you're just selling individual action figures, 
you know, those are going to go full price or 10% off, like you said. What I've yeah. always avoided were those big giant Star Wars figures that started coming out around the time of the um, the Force Awakens. And yeah. Just, yeah, those yeah. really big mothers. and they're, they're 12 like, inch. No, bigger than that. They're like... Four, oh you know, like, yeah, yeah. They're like yeah, four okay. feet tall. You know? Those, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they go for about a hundred bucks. You'll find Vader and troopers, and you know, maybe a Kylo Ren, what have you. And I've always liked those things. I've seen those in the stores. One time, I almost threw down for a Darth Vader that was going for sixty bucks. Mm. But still, it takes up a lot of space. But right. if it's going at like 50% or less, then yeah, maybe I'll, I'll pull the trigger on something like that. So I thought it would be worth checking out the Toys R Us. But you said now, what kind of shape was the store in? Oh, oh, it was like a tornado hit it. It was just... See, I was afraid to hear it was, that. It, yeah, it was, it was bad. There, there really wasn't... You know, it, it just... It was like a bunch of vultures picking the meat off the bones. You know, it just... There was something that felt kind of vulgar to be right. honest with you, because I, I was just thinking about the employees. You know, you got like 30,000 employees, you know, no That's severance. Rough. No, That's rough. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. They, they, they were getting nothing. And it's like and then there's just people just fighting over stuff. And uh, I saw a lot of Nerf guns, you know, kind of coming and going. I, I saw a, a lot of. um uh, the, the American Girl stuff. At least at my Toys R Us, they have a kind of a boutique area that just American Girl. I think that was also another whopping five percent off the American Girl stuff. As you say, you know that's the stuff that they know is going to sell. But um, and there was just something kind. It just it kind of an icky feeling. That's all. You know, it wasn't like a big, you know, end of the the holiday season clearance sale. And you know, well they'll rebet. You know, they'll come back and mm-hmm. you know this this felt. So different like, like vultures you know picking flesh off the bones yeah so uh, yeah and i i get that feeling i recall feeling something similar to to that emotion when i walked into our neighborhood borders books for the last time oh right and uh yeah maybe i'll go in there and get a few deals and i went in there it was like oh my god some atomic bomb went off in here or something. <laughs> Look at this place. Yeah. You know, they even sold away all the uh, fixtures and shelving and everything. You know? so, oh, my gosh. A, what a yeah, mess. Just... But, yeah, it happens quick and fast. And it's it's just part of the American fabric. No, You know what? It's part of the international fabric. There are Toys R Us everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently it's still going to survive and live on in Canada where uh, – you know, uh, they figured oh. out Toys R Us. You know, for so Sheldon will be able to go to Toys R Us. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Sheldon and Chase are going to be able to toy hunt there again. Beauty, eh? And um, yep. And so, uh, so it is going to survive in the corporate state that it's in. Mm. Uh, obviously, they're going to you know strip it down in the states here, and the plan is to close every store. There is some crazy talk about maybe some investors getting involved in or some actual toy manufacturers forming a coalition to save Toys R Us and pooling their resources. But uh, we're talking $5 billion in debt. Uh, yeah. the, the corporation has been terribly mismanaged for the last decade at least. Uh, it's been uh, sold uh, a few about 10 years ago. They sold it to an investment group who just loaded it with tons of debt, and that really sort of spelled the end for Toys R Us. I know they, they like to put out a public face saying, well, the, the uh, 
the, the way consumers react now to toys is much differently. Kids like video games now and things like that. And they say kids don't buy toys and everything. But still, mm-hmm. it's it's corporate boobitry that has destroyed <laughs> Toys R Us, let's face it. Just like it's destroyed a lot of things in this country. Uh, corporate greed at its worst. I mean, you just don't fall $5 billion into debt because uh, Tommy wants to play his Nintendo Switch. By the way, those video games are on sale at Toys R Us, so it's a piss-poor <laughs> excuse to make. Because right. uh, you say kids are uh, they're being lured by technology. Well, where do the parents go to buy a lot of that technology? Toys are freaking us. So uh, that, that's a lame excuse. It's corporate greed and mismanagement that, well, I mean, sure, we can mourn the loss of a toy store that we've gone to our whole life, but I'm really upset about the 30 thousand plus that are going to be out on the streets now and they're going to be unemployed and that 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 hurts us all in this country it takes a big effect on the economy so um hopefully there can be um you know a stay of execution for toys r us on the plus side i heard that the people who own the kb toys brand is considering bringing that back to life and trying to fill the void. There's going to be a a vacuum in the marketplace, uh, people think, because specialty toy store, uh, Toys R Us, is going to be off the map. But another big reason why Toys R Us is going away is because of the massive impact big box stores like Walmart and Target have had in this country. And that's stripped away business from, oh, my God, mom and pop stores of just about any variety have been feeling that pressure for the last few decades. And now big companies like Toys R Us are, are uh, feeling it. You know, Amazon, another thing that's, that's stripping away from Toys right. R Us business. Yeah. So it's sad to see happen. And I, of course, get nostalgic thinking about Toys R Us because, of course, Toys R Us is the first place I ever found a Star Wars action figure in the wild. It was 1978. My friend Mike Weeks told me, I spotted the action figures. They're at the Gulf Mill Niles Toys R Us. You got to get over there. So I told my mom, and this was something that my parents rarely ever did for me. Mom, take me to the store. I got to go buy this now. I got to go get it. I got to go get it. Like my kids do that to me on a daily basis. And I give in. And I give yeah. it. And it's even worse now because it's all on the internet. I just get sent a link on my phone, an eBay link. Can I get this? Can I get this? Yes. And then click, boom, there it is. But uh, it was a real, real uh, convincing job I had to do with my mom and dad to get them to actually drive me to a store and stuff. And sure enough, I walked down that toy aisle. I went down, you know, I remember the aisle. I remember the day. I, I walked down there and I looked on the pegs where the Star Wars figures were supposed to be. And they weren't there. I was so disappointed. And I was the uh, only kid in the aisle. I was so disappointed. And uh, all of a sudden an employee came in there. And he had a box of Star Wars action figures, and he dumped it into a shopping cart that was just sitting there in the middle of the aisle that I didn't notice. Oh, boy. And the the cart was in the process of getting filled up with all these Star Wars action figures. Vintage Kenner 12-backs. Oh, I remember it. Every one of them, too. Except for Jawa and... Um, and uh, what was the other Chase one? I think it was the Death Squad Trooper. Those were like two that were hard to get right out of the gate. The Death Squad Commander, right? Yeah. yeah, the- yeah. And um, and so uh, I snatched two of them, and my brother got two of them. I remember I got Darth Vader. 
and R2D2. I still have those figures in my collection. They're, you know, part of the beat up shelf, you know, the, the battle damage shelf. And uh, my brother got C3PO and Luke Skywalker. And I remember I just bringing them home, it was just like a, a feeling of treasure. I scored finally. I got these things. And I remember going off to school that next morning and carefully hiding them in my dad's bookcase behind some books. So, like, in case anyone broke into the house, they wouldn't be able to steal my action figures. They wouldn't find them. (laughs) And actually coming home that day after school, I remember the trepidation and nervous feeling I had as I pulled the books back to because I, I was sure somebody broke into the house and stole them. They were so desired at that time. And they were there. I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God. And so... uh that was my first uh, foray into Star Wars action figure collecting at that Toys R Us. And then I remember years later when Kenner brought the line back in the mid-90s with the big steroided Luke and Han and Chewie and all of them. And uh, I was looking everywhere for him. And it was Wendy's, uh, her broadcast partner, Bill Leff. He's a big toy collector, and he has a toy collection that, I mean, it's like museum-quality stuff, you know, like real, mm. like Disney vintage and, I mean, just stuff that would blow your mind. It, definitely, he could open a toy museum, and he's a big Star Wars collector, too. So, of course, he was the one who, was, uh, who, who brought me into, like, the organized hobby of Star Wars collecting and everything and uh, introduced me, uh, not directly, directly but uh, indirectly to personalities like steve sansweet and people i would actually get to know and um that was my uh, entry into star wars like as a hobby as collecting it wasn't something i just did as a kid this is actually a legitimate hobby now and so bill told me he lives uh, not far from that very same toys r us he told me yeah guess what uh, they got the new ones there, the modern figures. They're finally there. And I so I, I went to that same Toys R Us, walked down that same aisle, and it was almost like history repeated itself. I looked at the pegs. Nothing was up there. And I turned around, and I saw this one nerdy dweeb standing there drooling all over a cart filled with the new action figures. I'm like, they did it again. They put them in the cart, not on the pegs. And the nerd looked at me like, shut up, nerd. And so, <laughs> like, who am I to talk, right? And so uh, uh, I scooped up as many as I could hold before that guy could make up his mind about anything. And I was checking out. And uh, that was, uh, you know, it was just kind of synergy the way it happened. Same aisle. This was before they did the big reset. So the aisles were just these long aisles, you know. like a, It was like a Walmart. Nowadays when you go to... Toys R Us, there's, you know, little areas where they have, like, children's books and electronics and stuff. And But back then, it was just more like a sort of uh, a warehouse shopping experience where you just go down these straight aisles. And so it was the same aisle. And, uh, and then I also remember um, when the Slave Leia figure came out. I found myself uh, looking at the uh, World Wide Web for like the first time in my life, you know? And I found these forums where people are talking about Star Wars. I couldn't believe it. And they're talking about action figures. And then they're giving tips on where to find action figures. And everyone wanted that Slave Leia figure when it came out. And uh, sure enough, they said the Toys R Us at North Riverside has them. And I saw this uh, on a Friday night. And they're like, they'll have them on the pegs when the door opens in the morning. So I went there. And that morning, I was shocked, number one, that there were people out there waiting to get in 
And so I walked up to someone. I'm like, did you see this on the uh, America Online chat room? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's how we know it'd be here. And I was like, wow. I, I'm like, I didn't even think people looked at that thing. And you know, this Internet thing, is you think it's going to catch on? So, yeah, I think so. So um, waited in line, went in there, and uh, they didn't have many of them up on the pegs. Uh-huh. I walked in with these guys, and they went down the Hot Wheels aisle. And so I went in there, and I didn't see him. And then I saw this guy over in the back with an employee. And I'm like, what are those guys doing? So I went over there, and the employee is giving these guy, this guy the slave layers. And so I go, what's going on over here? <laughs> and I, said, I said, you're not giving them all to one guy. I'm here, too, so you better give me one. And so, you know, just with sheer intimidation and early Internet tips at my disposal, I was able to score that slave layup. And uh, that's fantastic. I you know, I have a, a similar memory of, of going in, and that's when the uh, I think it was the the wave. There was a slave layup. There was the Han Bespin, and there was the Grand Moff Tarkin. First time ever as an action figure. Uh, that was a big deal. And turning yeah. that corner and seeing those. Figures on that end cap that was, uh, you know, of course, part of the power of the Force 2 line. So a lot of incredible memories. And here yeah. to send us off in our uh, remembrance of the Toys R Us is a YouTube video. This is uh, somebody who decided to uh, play the iconic Toys R Us theme in a minor key. Yes, and we all know minor is the saddest of keys. Always. So here it is as we remember Toys R Us. Very dramatic. I don't want to grow up. <laughs> I'm a Toys R Us kid. There's a million toys at Toys R Us that I could play with. Here. moment of silence you did there for Toys R Us? I, I, it was. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. Wanted to have a nice dramatic ending. Well, anyway, who knows? Maybe that uh, maybe Toys R Us will enter into the netherworld of the Force and come back as some sort of <laughs> retail ghost. We'll see. Go-o-y. One thing we do know, you'll be able to get Rebel Force Radio All Access. That's available on Patreon. And you'll never miss an episode of our bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash Rebel Force Radio. 
We appreciate the support. We also appreciate the support of you as a listener. And we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us a line and play with us in between shows if you like. Show at rebelforceradio.com. The voicemail line 708-3201-RFR. That's 708-3201-737. You can find us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio. And I'm at Jason Swank. Also, the official website is available at rebelforceradio.com. We're on Facebook. Just search for Rebel Force Radio. You'll find us there. You can also find us streaming at WGNplus.com out of Chicago. Also, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and just about anywhere else you can find podcasts. You can also find us weekly at JediNews.co.uk, Yodasnews.com, Fanthatracks.com, and the official Star Wars website, StarWars.com. As I mentioned, we do want to thank our sponsors and this week, no exception, the folks at Zip Recruiter. Check them out, ZipRecruiter.com slash RFR. ZipRecruiter.com slash RFR, the smartest way to hire. That's it for us. We'll see you next time. Don't forget, Rebel Force Radio solo in Ohio tickets on sale this Tuesday. Go to PlayhouseSquare.org. We'll also keep the list, or excuse me, put the link at RebelForceRadio.com, but that's Tuesday, April 3rd at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. We're out of here. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. And I'm a Toys R Us kid. And remember, the Force will be with you. Always. Yeah.